Let's grab our Bibles. The three pillars of perseverance and why we need all three. The three pillars of perseverance and why we need all three. Let's begin in 1 Thessalonians. It's a couple of scriptures that I've discovered in my work on perseverance. We've been preaching on it and it's now the transition verses for the next section of our theme. The theme this year at Pleasant Hill Church of Christ is the fourth law of momentum, the power of perseverance. You all know that if we were to look back at the very beginning of this year in January, we began the very first couple weeks. We defined what perseverance meant. Perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, uh, all those are so critical. I did a, a couple of Bible, adult Bible classes where I selected particular topics that were designed to enhance what we're talking about in regards to perseverance. Sadly, I don't see a lot of the body of Christ and Christendom persevering. They're buckling under the pressure. They are not stepping up. They're not standing up. They're not willing to be heard. They're not willing to stand out. And we need to recognize and understand in my last and fourth point this evening that if you will choose to persevere, you will stand out. In fact, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Therefore, we are in need of perseverance. We need perseverance. Now we know that the passages of scriptures that we are the anchor scriptures are in the book of Revelation in chapter 14 and verse 9. This is the perseverance of the saints. And if you've done a careful study of Revelation, you know the scriptures are clear. And I could not speak this at Pleasant Hill with the women in the audience because they'll freak out. But it says that there's going to time when we're not going to be able to buy or sell because we are Christians. There's going to be a time where Christians will be martyred. It says that the false prophet and uh, false, the first beast is government, world government. The second beast that comes out of the sea is the false prophet. And working together, they will shut down the Christian's ability to be able to provide. And it says that Christians are going to be hunted down and killed. You look at it. Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now, I can't preach that at Pleasant Hill. I can't. Doesn't need to be preached. Right here, right now, so you men will stand up. Right here, right now, so we will stand up. And we'll give an example to our sons and daughters. Now, I don't mean you we go looking for a fight. That's not what I'm talking about. You stand up for Christ Jesus and the fight will come looking for you. Jesus wasn't looking for a fight. The fight came looking for him. Paul wasn't looking for a fight, but the fight came looking for him. Stephen wasn't looking for a fight. But the fight came looking for him. Timothy didn't go looking for a fight, 
but a fight came looking for him because those men decided I'm going to live all the way to the last breath for Jesus Christ. And I am not going to, as I've talked about before, cower in the shower or hunker in the bunker. I am going to stand up for my convictions. Again, we don't have to go Bible thump. We just live the life and we choose according to biblical standard, how we're going to live. Now, people are going to see hopelessness abound. One of the great pillars of the foundation, the great pillars for perseverance is hope. We need to have rock-solid hope, knowing, as we just learned in our Bible class, that when difficult times come, and we have persecution and affliction in our life, God has allowed that. And we're not going to be angry at God, and we're not going to fight against God. We're going to embrace that as God allowing that for us, and if we will stand, God will use us. So we need to know these three pillars. Because persecution is guaranteed to some degree to every generation of Christian. And I believe, if you've been mindful and watchful, you know that world government is emerging unashamed. So it's important, Christian man, to be a perseverant man. To have priorities set rightly. You need to be that rock-solid man for your wife and for your children. You need to be present like we talked about last year. So important. See, it's, it's critical for us to recognize and realize that what's coming upon the earth, God is allowing because man has rebelled against God and has created these idols. Where do you think the, the beasts came from? from Satan working through the godless hearts of men and women. That's where they came from. So it's important for us to stand. You know, I appreciate our brother. He stands in the gap for people who don't like him. In fact, they hate him. But he's willing to stand in the gap for all. In fact, it's interesting, in the riots of recent, he was trying to protect those people that hated him from being killed in one of the most busiest thoroughfares in the city of Springfield. I mean, if they would have busted through, there would have been a whole lot of road pizza going on, right? But they were willing to stand in the gap. You know, it's just as crazy for me to see these kinds of things, but the reality is, if we shut down, if we re remain quiet, if we're not willing to press forward and seek and save those who are desperately looking for hope when there is no hope, desperately looking for love when there is no love, desperately looking for reason when there's nothing reasonable anymore, desperately looking for security when no one is being a man of integrity. We need to be those men. So the perseverant man must have three pillars that he chooses to build into his life. And so in the book of Hebrews, it talks about in chapter 10, are you ready 
for what is to come. And I would ask you to go back and read Hebrews chapter 10, beginning there in verse 32, reading through verse 39. And you study it out. You dig. Because that is a picture of what has been in the past, throughout human history in the church, not necessarily in the United States, because we have enjoyed such such temporal freedom and prosperity as never has been enjoyed by common man. Only kings and princes, only pharaohs have enjoyed such amazing prosperity and such amazing freedom. The common man has been enslaved, but not so for the American people in the last 200 years. So we don't really understand that throughout the ages, chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39, has been going on in the lives of Christians in other countries. And so we have been the nation that sent out missionaries, and now there are men and women in Belarus who are actually encouraging me. And they have it worse than we do. And they're encouraging me. And they're encouraging others. And they're continuing to teach. And they're continuing to immerse. Just last week, I had a beautiful video of three people being immersed in Minsk. So we need to recognize and understand, gentlemen, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. And you have to decide if you're that man. But if you're ashamed of him now, Jesus says, I'll be ashamed of you on the last day. So we really do need to get serious about this. I have to be honest with you. A lot of the scripture has been academic to me for a long time. You know, Paul going into Philippi and, and, and winning that, that Jewish family by the riverside, you know, Lydia. And then casting out a demon in a little slave girl. And then her, her owners got mad and turned the city against Paul and Silas. And throwing them in the prison, beating them ruthlessly in the inner prison, as has been shared, just nasty. How vile that was in the inner prison. And what was he doing? He was singing praises to God. His mindset was such that he was a gentle man. If you were listening to the lesson I did not last Sunday, but the Sunday before during adult Bible class, we need to be gentle men so that when those things happen to us, we will not be angry at God, but we'll receive them as God allowing us to prove who we are so that we'll be singing praises to God so that the jailer will listen and know that we are not normal men. We are not mere mortals, but we are sons of God, men of integrity. We serve not the God of this world. We serve the God who's created all things. He is our one and only sovereign. Gentlemen, that jailer and his family are in heaven because that man chose to be perseverant in doing what was right, in embracing what came, not with anger, not with frustration, not cursing God. Job never cursed God. 
he embraced it and continued to speak truthfully, even though his wife was neglect and all his children were gone. He stood his ground and God returned the blessing. So we need to recognize, brethren, in this introduction that these three pillars are critical. And then we're going to close with some pretty stout scripture. For stout men who can receive it and decide, I will be a man perseverant until my last breath. Now, I've never served in the military. I know that you have, Davy. And when the shooting starts is when you really find out what a man is made of. You don't really know until the shooting starts. You don't really know until the jail comes. You don't really know until the, the, the slap down comes. You don't really know until, you know, the beatings come. You don't really know until the re-education camps come. You don't really know until you're disappeared. You don't really know what kind of man you're going to be. But you need to resolve in your mind that you're going to be the perseverant man. Because did God use Paul consistently when he chose to persevere through all sorts of horrible things? He turned the world upside down. And some people say, well, Stephen didn't really get much of a start. He only got to do one sermon. What Stephen did in that one sermon rocks the Christian world for those who want to look at that perseverant man. He only preached one sermon that I'm aware of, that is recorded anyway. I'm sure he preached others, but that one was an awesome sermon that has given us really what we need for loving our enemy even to our last breath. Amen. So get that one in your brain locked in. So now let's look at these three. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to what Paul says to this church. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind, number one, your work of faith. Number two, labor of love. And number three, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. It's pretty amazing when we take a look at that. We see him praising God because they have a faith and a love and a hope that are unchanged. Now I want you to jump with me now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and after this letter of encouragement to them, Listen to what he says to them in his second letter. It's absolutely amazing, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Remember the works of faith he was praising for them in his first letter. And now they're greatly enlarged. In other words, in times of horrible persecution, they didn't shut down. They abounded in their faith. That's not typical of what we would see today. What we see today is people shutting down, closing the curtains, and wimping out. Not staying the course. Not preaching. Not teaching. It's so important for us to recognize that this is our standard. This is our picture. Reading on it says, And the love of each of you toward one another grows ever greater. 
Therefore we ourselves speak, speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now, if you've been listening to the last two Sunday mornings, you're going to remember that we've used these last, actually the last two, and we're going to do the last one this coming Sunday. You know, it's really amazing. These people were spiritually conceived in affliction and persecution. Paul and Silas brought the persecution with them from Philippi. And they brought it right in, not wanting to, but they were followed there and they were persecuted. And these people were becoming Christians. And as you look at Acts 17, as we looked at before, they came in and they turned that city upside down. There was a riot and they physically, with great force, grabbed young Christians thinking that they had been housing Paul and Silas. And they brought them before the mob. You ready for that? They didn't know if they were going to live or die. So it's important for us to recognize these people, brand new Christians, are overwhelmed by persecution and they're men who are perseverant. That's why these two passages are so powerful for needing faith, needing love, needing hope, and to excel still more and more. If you don't have secure in your mind that God is sovereign and that whatever happens, He's allowed for His good pleasure and you're His servant and to serve Him, filled with the Spirit, manifesting the glory of God in His character, then people will see Christ. And jailers will then know and some may even become Christians. So it's important then for us to understand these three. So let's start by looking at Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, and 3 as the jump-off point for faith, hope, and love. Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Many are familiar with this passage. We're going to use this passage for my three points of faith, hope, and love. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of Brian's favorite passages is in the book of Galatians in, in chapter 6. You have that memorized, don't you? What does it say? Yes. Yeah, if you do not grow weary. Okay? I like the don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah, absolutely. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Persevere. The person who gives up doesn't persevere. He doesn't endure. He doesn't remain faithful. You keep working at doing good and you'll stand out. Now, point number one. 
The faith of Christ must be our faith. The faith of Christ must be our faith. In this passage of Scripture, in the book of Hebrews 12, what faith is it talking about there? Go back and look at it again. What faith is being spoken of there? It's the faith of Christ. He's the author and perfecter of faith. Whose faith? We're supposed to look to Him, the author and perfecter of faith. Whose faith? His faith is to be our faith. I want you to look with me in Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The faith of Jesus Christ needs to be our faith. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And Blake, I'm really glad you're here tonight. I'm going to have you read that passage of Scripture, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 in the King James. It's different than in the modern translations. It was translated correctly. The modern translations were not. So please listen. You can read along in yours, and there's going to be a substantive difference between your Bible and this translation. Would you like to read that real loud, please? Why don't you come over here and read it in the microphone? Because I want the folks that are listening to hear this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Okay, let me start over. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave me for himself, himself for me. The faith of Christ. He lives by the faith of Christ. Where are you going to see Christ's faith manifested? Where are you going to see it? Well, but where are you personally going to see it before even in the church? Yeah, in the scriptures. Yeah, or other Christians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the faith of Christ. Rome, or uh, Paul, you see the faith of Christ. Timothy, you see the faith of Christ. When you look into the scriptures, you see the faith of Christ lived out in those men. They were perseverant. They did not give up. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm already dead. What can they do to me? Yeah, can they bring pain? Pain is only temporary. The lake of fire is eternal pain. If I do not persevere, eternal pain. I'll have pain in this life and eternal pain after. Is that true, gentlemen? So pain in this life is only temporary if you choose to be perseverant. If you choose not to be perseverant, the pain will be internal, eternal, and exponentially more painful. Gentlemen, I'm just sharing with you the truth. Again, I can't share this with the ladies down home. Unfortunately, I think they're going to learn it. But the reality is, is right now they can't receive it. And honestly, I don't think a lot of men can receive it. I hope that you can. I hope that you can. And so it's so important for us to recognize and understand the faith of Christ manifests itself by saying, you know what, I'm dead. Now I'm Christ. Whatever they do to me, Christ went to the cross, excruciating pain. He lived through it so that he gained glory. We live through it so we can gain glory. But you know what? When you live the life of Christ, people are drawn to you. How many know the scripture says that Jesus was an ugly man? Scripture says Jesus was an ugly man. 
There was nothing in his physical appearance that would cause people to be drawn to him. That's what it says. He's not on the cover of GQ magazine. Absolutely not. And I have never been on the cover of GQ magazine, and I'm pretty confident that that will not happen. Okay? It just won't. Uh, may Jeremy, maybe, but not me. <laughs> so, so, so going back to Galatians 2 and verse 20, take a look at that again. In the New American Standard, they, they tweaked it pretty nasty, unfortunately. By the way, if you get down into the Greek, verse 16 and 17 talks about the faith of Christ by which we're justified, by which we are sanctified. In the book of Romans, in chapter 3, it talks about the faith of Christ by which we are justified and by which we are sanctified. It's the faith of Christ that will carry us through to and through our cross into glory. And so it's important, gentlemen, that we possess the faith of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by the faith of Christ, the one who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I'm going to deliver myself up for him. So that we will walk in that faith. And so starting out, the faith of Christ, the race, the runner, and the rule. The race, of course, is for those who will run by the faith of Christ. The runner is found there in Hebrews chapter 12. Take a look at Hebrews 12. Go back to Hebrews 12, chapter 2, or Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 2, and the first part of verse 2 in Hebrews 12. The first part of 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice it says, The race set before us. The race set before us. We need to fix our eyes on the race set before us. You know what the race set before us is? The life of Christ. How many of you ever been uh, in any kind of long distance running? I didn't think so. You've been in some? I know. I know. Good. Cross country. Excellent. Is there a race that is set out before you run? They set it out for you. And you got to run that race. Otherwise, you don't get the prize. Right? In skiing. I know in skiing, they set the course. They let you run the course a few times until you race. But if you don't hit every gate, you don't win the prize. I mean, if you don't go within every gate, you don't win the prize. You have to run according to the race that is set before you. The race that's set before us is the very life of Christ that he lived by faith. You need to get into the Gospels, gentlemen. See how people treated, how Jesus treated people. You need to see how he did that. That's the race. You need to see how Jesus endured persecution against himself. That's the race. Oh, by the way, gentlemen, can I encourage that when you read the Psalms, that you read them daily? And when you read the Psalms, you read them as if you're listening to Jesus speaking about himself. The vast majority of the Psalms are actually Jesus speaking through David or the writer of the Psalms. When you start listening and you start looking at the passage in the book of Psalms like that, you're going to hear Jesus speaking about his life. Did you know the Psalms say that from a child, from childhood, in the Hebrew that means before 12 years old, 
he was mistreated by his peer group. And throughout his life, even before he was baptized on his, uh, at 30 years old, he was treated poorly. He was that outcast in school. He was that geek. He was that kid that nobody wanted to hang with because he was weird, because he knew the Bible, because he was quoting scripture, because he wanted to hang with his dad so that he could be a good son. He was that guy, the guy that I used to make fun of when I was the cool man in school. That's who Jesus was. And yet Jesus grew into a man that cared about others more than he cared about himself. Is that who you are? You see, we need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. People are going to mistreat us wherever we go when we stand up for what's right. And he did stand. He never sinned. When he transitioned into, into adulthood, by the way, how many of you know, from a psychology standpoint, from a physiology standpoint, things start to change in a, the human body and the human mind at 12 years old? Many of you know what I'm talking about. The hormones kick in, 11, 12, 13, and the physical anatomy and the psychology of the person begins to change. By the time they are 20, 18, 19, and 20 years old, those things are now fully in force. You can grow in wisdom, but those things are there. And so there is a time when you transition from childhood to adulthood. He never sinned. We don't know when he transitioned into adulthood. When he was 18? When he was 19? When he was 20? He was baptized when he was 30. What was he doing all those years so that at 12 years old he could be in the temple telling the scribes and the doctors of the law what the scripture meant? What was he doing? He was that nerd that was in his Bible every day. He wasn't a nerd when he was talking to the doctors of the law and they were amazed they were amazed. And he gave himself, from the moment he transitioned into adulthood, he gave himself to serve God with every thought and every word and every action. You're saying, well, I, that counts me out. No, it doesn't. When you were immersed into Christ as an adult, you were granted the mind of Christ. You were granted the spirit of Christ. And you're given everything that you need for life and godliness. You can now walk in the newness of life in the faith of Christ. Now, brethren, I want you to take a look at the rule. What's the new rule of the faith of Christ? Our faith must be mere image. Here's the rule. Go back with me to the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Good evening, gentlemen. It's great to see you tonight. Galatians in chapter 6. And many of you have heard this before, but let me repeat it. Many times Peter says, in fact, in 1 Peter he says three times, it's good that I'm reminding you of these things. So I have only done this uh, more than three times, but that's okay. Galatians in chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. This is a tremendous passage of Scripture that has been misunderstood for a long time. It talks about the faith of Christ. When we take a look at this, it says in verse 15, it says here, starting uh, where he says, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and the Israel of God. 
For those of you who've done your own work to check me out, and if you haven't done your own work to check me out, I want you to check me out now. Does this passage actually say, verse 16, and those who will walk, live by this rule, this standard, the standard that we are now new creations, created in the image of Christ, with the power of His Holy Spirit, and given everything that we need to have the faith of Christ through His Word, that now we can receive peace and mercy. See, the new creation standard is faith working through love. How do I know that? Go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Galatians 5 and verse 6. Jeremy, could you read that real loud? You have New American Standard? Okay. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. So, in Christ, there's a new standard. Outside of Christ, circumcision means something. Uncircumcision means something. But in Christ, that's all gone. There's a new creation. There is a new standard. And what is it? Faith working through love. Faith working through love. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1? Or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4? What did he say? Go back and look. It's so important. Faith working through love. What is it? Absolutely. And in the second letter, it says, your faith is abounding. Your love is excelling still more and more. In other words, in persecution, it's growing. The faith of Christ is growing in them. The love of Christ is growing in them. That's why Jesus hanging on the cross could say to that thief who was trashing him, just verbally trashing him, when he changed his mind, he said, today, yes, today, you'll be with me in paradise. He forgave that guy. The very guy that was trashing him and trying him to, to get him to get off the cross. Save us and save yourself if you're the Christ. And then he could say that for the soldiers. And he could say that for all of those scribes. We are able to say the same thing. If we what? Walk speak, breathe, think, live as Christ lived, and we are able. So we need to establish the faith of Christ fully in our lives. Because the devil is unrelenting. He's going to keep pounding. He's going to keep pounding. He's not going to let up until you breathe your last. And then he's lost if you're the perseverant man. Now, what about hope? What is hope? Well, turn with me to the book of, of um, Hebrews and chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 and then the, the last part of verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. The pain of the cross was excruciating. 
The pain of the cross was like nothing you have ever felt in your life before. Now, I have to be honest with you. Some of the things that have been done to Christians in times past, after Jesus endured such hostility by sinners, are absolutely sickening. You don't have to look too far in literature to see what was done to Christians. And so we need to have a faith that's going to endure through those things. Now, I know that Davy was in, in Vietnam. And some of the things that were done to our soldiers if they were captured by the Viet Cong in the torture was absolutely unspeakable. But what Jesus endured was worse than that. And he endured. Why? Not just for himself, but for those that would follow after him. There's a lot of people following you, gentlemen. There's a lot of people watching you, gentlemen. And how you live your lives is going to tell them whether you're a perseverant man. If you really believe what you believe is really real. And if your hope is not set on things in this world, if your hope is set on your paycheck, if your hope is set on your, you know, your, your house and your cars and your rigs, if your hope is set on your talent and ability, if your hope is set on anything in this life, your hope is misplaced. It can be taken from you. It can be taken from you. And in many generations past, it has been taken from Christians. And the devil doesn't change his operation. He just tools it up to fit the generation, to fit the, the need. So what we see in the scriptures is what we can expect. No pain, no gain is the saying. We can expect that there will be pain. Remember what it says in the scriptures in 1 Peter and chapter 4 and verse 12? To the, degree, to the degree that you experience or endure the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So to the degree that you experience the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What does that mean? So when, when the ratchet is crunched down, then we rejoice even more. That's what was happening with Paul in that prison. That's what happened with him. He believed that verse and he lived that verse. By the way, that verse was put in there for you and me. So when you have difficulties in your life and there will be difficulties and they're going to be easy things. Like my truck isn't running very well. Man, I'm just really upset. I'm distraught. I'm in despair. I'm, I'm almost ready to give up on life. Now you're laughing. And you know that's not true. But you also probably know people where that is true. In 2008, there were people that killed themselves because they lost their home. They killed themselves. I heard on the news in 2008 that one lady told the police, if you come to evict me out of my house, you're going to find my dead body on the front porch. And guess what? They came to evict her of her house and they found her a bullet hole in her head. She killed herself because of a house. See, hope was in this world. That's crazy. Or maybe not. I just want to breathe another day 
I just want to have another month. I just want to have another year. I just want to, well, where are you putting your hope? In your physical life. Our hope is in Christ. Every breath we breathe was given to us. Every moment we live has been given to us. And every situation that we come into is given to us for a purpose, to embolden us so that we can face what is to come. So when the challenges come, don't wimp out. Go, okay, I need to learn something from this. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? So that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Yes, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be what? Perfect in every way, strengthened in every way. We are given these opportunities to strengthen. So when things don't go our way and we start complaining, stop. They're not crucifying you. And even if they are, stop. And ask God to forgive them for what they're doing. We got to get this in our minds, guys. It's got to be in our heads. I believe that with all my heart. I've heard a lot of great preaching when I go away. Wow, that guy really took that scripture apart and put it back together. That was awesome. Man, those illustrations you used were amazing. That was incredible. That was awesome. Let's get down to brass tacks. Revelation 13 says a lot of us are going to be killed for the faith. And we're going to have a hard time providing for our families. What's the mark of the beast? I have no clue. I think the mark of the beast is actually a perverted mind and ugly, nasty activities. That's, that identifies an evil man, right? But you know, it says that we're given the mind of Christ and we're to raise up holy hands in our service to the Lord. Oh, by the way, turn to, with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. You want to hear about an awesome hope. Our purpose is to serve. The pain is the pain of Christ in serving other people. Our hope is found in serving others. Because when we serve ourselves, that's a hopeless fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. When we're selfish, it's a fool's errand. It keeps us from living as God has called us to live. So we will not lay our lives down. For those around us what does it say here in hebrews chapter 6 take a look uh, in verse 9 he makes a statement about those people who who give up he says here but beloved we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation though we are speaking in this way look at verse 10 for god is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered, served, and in still ministering, in still serving to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence in serving the saints, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not grow sluggish and be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Our full assurance of hope is that we're living just like Jesus Christ by his faith then we can know for certain that when we enter into heaven we're going to hear well done thou good and faithful servant 
enter into your rest. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you came to me. And those people are so busy about doing the right thing because that's living the life of Jesus. They'll say, Lord, when? When? When did we do those things? When you did it to the least of these, my brothers. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 10 and 11. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you're doing it unto me. How important that is, brethren. What's your prize? What are you really going for? What are you really going for? Some preachers go for a big church. Big church, man. I got 5,000 people coming to my church. There's a problem in that statement. <laughs> okay. There's a whole bunch of problems, a whole bunch of that statement. I have 5,000 coming to my church. Well, that's all messed up. That's totally messed up, isn't it? You know, what matters is, is that people are brought to Christ and as they assemble with you, they may move and assemble other places. That's what really matters. But you know what the prize is? The prize is heaven. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Philippians 3 and verse 12, 13, and 14. <laughs> I love this passage of Scripture. Not that we have already obtained it. Not that, we have, not that we have already died and gone to heaven. Not that we have already obtained it. Verse 12 there. Philippians 3.12 And have already become perfect. I'm still striving for that mark. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also uh, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Brethren, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, our hope is heaven. The, everything else is hopeless. Last time I checked, this place is a, this world as beautiful as it is. Wow, it's awesome, isn't it? We're going to be lulled to sleep tonight by God's amazing creation. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. It's awesome. And I'm so far away that you'll be lulled to sleep, not by my snoring, but by the rushing river. It's great. It's awesome. It's great. It's fantastic. So I just prayed. <laughs> Sorry, I'm right across the way from you guys. I, I just, it just kind of it happened that way. Sorry, David. I hope you forgive me. Okay. Did you bring little ear ear plugs for your 22s? Did you bring? You brought the. Oh no. Well, I bought a couple, so, so, but, but you didn't bring your gear. Okay, I'm sorry. That's all. I'll try to get to sleep before I do. How's that sound? Okay. So anyway. So finally, our hope needs to be only in heaven, only in salvation granted to us by Christ Jesus. The last, of course, is love, and that's the greatest of all. Uh, endurance, energy, and exaltation of our love. The endurance of our love. Hebrews 12, 3. What does it say there? Well, you know that one. For the joy set before me endured the cross, despising the same, and I sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he endure? For you. 
Why did he endure the cross? For Jeremiah, of course. Jeremiah was the only one in the whole world. There were no other humans. It was only Jeremiah. Jesus would have come to this world for you. Have you ever thought about that? He loved just you. The sad fact is, is that who would put him on the cross then? If you were the only one, it'd be you. The interesting thing is, if you really think about it, gentlemen, you did put him on the cross. You did. Your sin is what drove him to the cross so that you and I would not have to die and spend eternity away from the one who created us, who loves us, and who wants to live for eternity with us. Some people say, and you're going to hear this if you haven't already, well, if God were a loving God, he would never cast anybody into hell. If that's the kind of God you have, I don't want that kind of God. And the kind of God is the God that would crush his son and be pleased to crush his son so that you could live. I don't know if I asked you many years ago. I don't know if I did or not. But if there's a total dirt bag on death row that deserved to die because he did heinous, nasty things to a lot of people, and someone came to you and said, hey, hey, you're a Christian man. Out of love, would you sacrifice your firstborn for that dirt bag because that would pay for his sins and he wouldn't have to go to the lake of fire? Would you sacrifice Truman? Why not? Well, you just don't love like God then. Well, you know what? You know what? The reality is, and you need to know this, and, and Jake knows this. When you serve God and you put him first, your kids get sacrificed. You know how many nights Jacob went to bed without dad? Because I was working with people that ended up hating my guts. I sacrificed that boy. But I would not put him on a cross to die for some dirtbag. But I would sacrifice my life and I would sacrifice my relationship with Jacob so that I could reach someone who was worthy of eternal damnation, eternal death. That's a sacrifice, isn't it? Now, I know you would never sacrifice Truman. Absolutely not. But as you lay your life down for Christ, as we lay our lives down for Christ, our sons see a man perseverant, a man dedicated to God, a man who's going to make it. And those sons then have an example for us or for them that they'll follow in our footsteps as we're following the footsteps of Jesus Christ and the footsteps of Jesus Christ lead to heaven and your footsteps in the footsteps of Jesus Christ will lead our sons and daughters to heaven. If you're not perseverant, they won't get there. Jesus died in love with you when you were still worthless, rotten, sinful, disgusting, unworthy. He did that because he loved you. And he thought about you every moment of his life because he didn't want to make a mistake.
Because if you would have made a mistake, you would have been lost. I don't know about you, but the scriptures clearly teach in Psalms 139 that he knew every moment of my life. He knew the very moment of my conception, it says, and he knows my very last breath. And he died for every one of those moments and every one of those sins. That's us. Will we lay our lives down for him so that others might see a perseverant man and follow us to heaven? We'll do that only if we have love. Look at John chapter 3. And well, let's quote it. John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. That would be like me loving people who are sinful in the world, and sacrificing my son on their behalf. And in a way we did that. But you know my son is following in my footsteps. And I'm confident that all three of my sons. As they continue to grow. And as they ha develop relationships. And they get married. They're going to look back at this guy. And they're going to go. I remember what dad did for mom. I remember what dad did for us. I remember what dad did for people. When they didn't care about him. He just kept pushing forward. They'll remember that. Because they've seen a picture, the embodiment of the sacrifice of Christ. Men, that's who we need to be. And I'm not perfect yet. We just read that. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and striving for what lies ahead. Will you walk with me as a perseverant man? I do have a fear that I don't have the faith of Christ as firmly developed in me as needs be and i don't have the hope of christ as firmly developed in me as it needs to be and i don't have the love of christ so firmly developed in me that it needs to be because when the shooting starts what am i going to do now it's already started there's been a whole bunch of times where it's right jake <laughs> you've seen it <laughs> okay okay so those times were given to me thankfully to grow and I look back and I realize that. I pray that you will do that as well. And with the times that will come in the future. So what about 1 John 3.16? Does anybody know that one? We all know John 3.16. What about 1 John 3.16? We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. There it is. And we ought also to lay down our lives for each other. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. I got your six, brother. I do. Okay. I love your story. I'm glad I've been a part of it. It's pretty cool. So it's important for us to know that we need to lay our lives down for each other and more. In times to come let me let me close this last uh, point before I bring the conclusion the exaltation first Peter chapter 4 first Peter and chapter 4 verse 12 and 13 and I quoted it earlier shame on me 
I stole from myself. <laughs> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. And then it goes on to talk about, uh, and I think I, I don't have to go there, but notice he's re exalting in exaltation at what? At getting into heaven. Because we endured. We persevered. We saw suffering in a different light. It strengthens us so we can get to that last breath. Now, let's turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 12 talks about the war, verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and they were no longer there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now listen to this. By the way, how many of you know the scripture teaches that if you've been immersed in the Christ for the right reason, that you were raised up with him and you were seated with him in the heavenly places. So right now, if you are in Christ, you're seated with him in the heavenly places. Amen. Your salvation is secure because you are in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Even though you walk the earth, remember, I live by faith and not by sight. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by the faith of Christ. He's in glory. I'm in glory. He has all power. He's given me all power. We are able to live this life that we're called to, but we need to go back to the scriptures to understand it. So now what I'm about to read to you, I want you to process it in a little bit different way. Read what it says there in verse 10. The things that are said in heaven... Remember, Satan's been thrown down to the earth. He's already here. He's the God of this world. He's the God, the principality of the air. He is here. He has dominion. We need to know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world because we're not of this world anymore. Let's read it. Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accused of our brethren has been thrown down. He who curses them uh, before our God day and night. And they overcame him. We overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And because the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even faced with death. For this reason we rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Who dwells in heaven? Who, is, who dwells in heaven? We do. 
We're rejoicing that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the great gospel proclamation. Notice what it says there. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you, Christian, who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Well, guess what, brethren? We're secure in heaven. That's what the scripture says. And if you're not sure about that, let's do one-on-one Bible study. We had begun the moving on to maturity, looking at what that means. Guess what? <laughs> We're secure. And if you don't understand that, that hope isn't there. That faith isn't quite set yet. That love, that's the manifestation of the mature man, is not there yet. We need to come together, work together, study on our own, ask the questions, come alongside, say I got struggles, build each other up, serve one another now because of this. So we know I am seated with him in the heavenly places. I'm going to make it. I'm a perseverant man. I'm walking by faith and not by sight. So when you hear the bad news, guess what? Yep. Devil's in charge. Oh, the beast that's coming out of the sea. It's world government. Yep. It's coming. Oh, but aren't you worried? Well, no. Because I'm seated in heaven. I've been given the power of Christ to overcome like he did. You know that he turned Rome on its ear. And you know, he turned the Jewish religion on his ear when he died. When did you die with Christ? When did you die with Christ? When you were crucified with Christ? When? When were you raised up with Christ? It's done. Jesus, when he came out of that water on the Jordan, Holy Spirit came down, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. When did the fight start? When did the fight start for Jesus? <laughs> then. <laughs> okay. So guess what? We're heaven bound. And we need to know that the devil is playing interference. And the way he's going to do that is bring confusion, doubt, fear, pain, so all that stuff. Is he going to win? Is he going to win? Did he win in Jesus' life? Where's Jesus right now? In heaven. Where's Jesus right now? In us. Where are we right now? In heaven. Brethren, we do not need to fear. God will never leave us or forsake us. David the great king walked by faith and he's still seen as the great king that listened to God and did what he said. And even though he struggled, he was a man after God's own heart. That's who we are to be. That's who we are. And that's who we'll be until the last day. And no matter what comes, if you're feeling a little shaky, grab one of us. I'm serious. If I'm feeling shaky, I'll call Jeremy. Jeremy, that's not weakness. We are of one body, the body of Christ. That's not weakness. That's strength. 
That's important because we all want to make it to heaven together. You don't want to give up what you already have. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer and we'll take a little break, get something to drink. And uh, we got some soda there, boys, if you want some soda. It's free, no charge. Okay. It's only if your dad lets you. It's only if your dad lets you. Okay. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time. And I'm excited to bring up uh, Jake in just a little bit. And we do pray to your Heavenly Father that you would help us to recognize and understand that the victory is won. And we need to step into that. We need to believe it. And we need to embrace it. For that is our hope. And because of that, we can love you deeply by loving others, Father. How critical that is. Help us develop a clear and full understanding of the faith of Christ and that we possess it. That we have a clear and full understanding of the hope that Jesus has given us and that we embrace it and understand it and live it. And finally, Father, that we'd understand the love of Jesus Christ and we would live it, knowing that we are seated with you in the heavenly places. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'll tell you what, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our next speaker. And the next speaker is Jacob Compton. I know him really well. He is, uh, I can speak confidently about his ability uh, to live and love and serve the Lord. It's, it's been great to see him grow, to see him become the man that he's become. And uh, I'll tell you what, he preached a really great sermon a couple Wednesday nights ago. Uh, and uh, he's done some great uh, uh, meditations. And so, really appreciate this young man. I've asked him to do the evening devotion. He's going to bring a couple of scriptures. And then uh, he's going to ask for prayer requests. And I pray that we would really dig deep down, think about you know, our need to become perseverant men and uh, decide on really what do I need what do I need to be that perseverant man so that we could be in prayer uh, for the men, the congregations that are represented here? All right? And so, Jake, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. Let's give it up for Jacob Compton. Woohoo! There you go. First time putting this on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put this in your pocket. Okay. You have your Bible. And... Oh, it's right yeah. there. Yeah. Okay, you're good to go. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and steal one of your concluding statements. You can. Do you want to use this or no? Uh, sure. Do I just stick this? Cool. Let me see to make sure. Yep, you're recording. Cool. I'll, I'll take that. So I'm going to steal one of my dad's concluding statements. Uh, we need not fear. And when it comes to prayer... Well, you have a big head. Um, when it comes... <laughs> When it comes to prayer, I should say, when my dad first asked me to teach a lesson on prayer and perseverance, um, my first thought was Daniel, right? Because um, Daniel showed incredible courage in the face of death, knowingly, and he continued to pray, right? So let's go ahead and turn over to Daniel, and I'm just going to give you a quick little rundown. Um so we know Daniel was captured, right? And he was taken away and he was enslaved. And he and a bunch of his buddies um, were taken into the court of the king. And I should probably focus on where I'm going instead of talk. Um, so he got captured. He was in exile. He was in captivity. And he's made um, part of one of the servants in the king's court. I'm just going to hold this. Um, and over time, he worked his way up 
in the favor of the king, and soon he's one of the head guys, right? He's one of the governors. And uh, a bunch of his, I guess, colleagues, his co-governors, did not like him, right? He's a man of God. He's living the, he's living the life, and they hate it because, right, they're hypocrites. They don't like being, you know, put the, the spotlight on them. So they come up with this plan to try and get him killed. And we know that right now the devil is not going to play fair, right? We're in a fight. He's not going to play fair. And that hasn't, that hasn't changed from the very beginning. So the devil is trying to take him out and he's not going to play fair, right? So uh, let's pick it up and uh, let's just say verse 10. So they have the king sign this document saying that if you pray to any other god besides the king, you're, you're a dead man. They're going to kill you. So let's pick it up in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued to nail, praying on his knees three days, praying and giving thanks before God uh, as he had done previously. So the people knew he was praying, and that's why they got the document signed, right? They wanted to get rid of him. Daniel knew that it was signed. He knew this was in effect. He knew he was going to die if he prayed. And you also got to think, he was an exile. He was in captivity. He had a lot to lose over those few years that he built up his reputation of the king, right? He had a lot to lose. And he did it. He just was, this was the right thing to do. He was going to pray. There is no doubt in his mind. He knew that it was going to happen. So what does that mean for us? We see Daniel. He was perseverant. He was the example. What does that mean for us? So let's go over to Ephesians. And Ephesians 6. I think it's 6. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to... I guess we're starting verse 10. So Daniel had a massive fight on his hands, and he stuck it out, and he prayed. So let's start in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil, or of the evil one, uh, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Um, so just like Daniel, we have a fight on our hands, right? And I think it's not a coincidence that in this very well-known fight verse, the scripture about fighting, that Paul, through the revelation of the Spirit, he puts prayer in there. Prayer is an essential part of our fight. So what are we going to do, 
right? Here in these days, we don't have laws saying that they're going to kill us for praying, but we have eyes on us. Just at work the other day, um, me and my coach, we went to break and we have uh, at work. So I work at TSA, right? And we have a break room. And of course, we can't all take break at once. So we take it in shifts. And there's like two or three people in the break room at one time. And so we sit down. I start to eat. I pray. And I notice as I'm done praying, I didn't pray aloud. I just bowed my head and closed my eyes. And as I raise my head, I look across the table and my, my coach is like staring at me. And he's has this face of shock. And my thought was, I'm the weirdo of the group. He's watching me now. He knows that I'm a Christian now. Um, so my thought is, what are we going to do when we have eyes on us? When it gets to the point of, just like Daniel, when there's a law passed, or it's just um, people hate Christians, what are we going to do? Are we still going to pray like Daniel did, open our windows and let people see that we're living the life, or are we going to cower and not hide? Are we going to persevere in those hard times, or are we going to kind of brush on the rug and be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. No one needs to know. Um, so that's my question to you. How are we praying right now? Are we going to do it when it's hard? If we're not doing it when it's easy? Nope. It's easy. If we're not doing it when it's easy, we're not going to do it when it's hard. So that's my little, um, I guess, lesson. And my question for you to ask yourself this week, are we going to do it when it's easy? Or are we going to wait for when it's hard? Because we're not going to do it when it's hard. So with that, what, what a prayer request do we have this week? What can we be praying for each other? Bill. I pray that I would be the James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, man. That mindset is crucial. So if you could pray that particular scripture for me, I'd appreciate it. Do you think Daniel was praying that? I think Daniel was praying that. He's praising God even though he was had a crosshairs on him. Anything else? Could be anything. Uh, I think think for me, uh, particularly at work right now, I mean, it's there's really such a great opportunity uh, for me, but it's just super nasty. Uh, just from top to bottom right now in that department and so it's 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 been a real challenge for me uh just to, to stay super positive and, and be encouraging to all those and be that example um you know so far been able to maintain pretty well but you know when you're working 16 hour shifts and you're getting three hours sleep and working another 16 hour shift that just alone just worries you down mm-hmm. uh, besides the the backbiting be honest with you, I, there's like two people in that entire department that I can say that I trust, and the rest of them you have no idea. And so, with everything going on with us anyway, now mm-hmm. we're infighting, and you have to be concerned about more about 
somebody stabbing you in the back from the inside than from the outside. Um, you know, morale is at an all-time low. So I've really been been working hard um, just to, to, to be like Jesus, you know. And, and you're going to hear it tomorrow. And it, it's the mindset of, of – it's the warrior mindset. Um, I tell myself probably 50 times a day, be a warrior. Be a warrior. And I keep telling myself that. You know, be a warrior like Jesus. Um, somebody said the other day, you know, they're asking about it, you know, we're so thankful. You guys are such heroes. And I, and I told them, like, I don't want to be a hero. I want to be a warrior. Hmm. You know, and, and for us, it's, it's, a, it's a warrior for Christ first, uh, but it's also a warrior for others to see. Because when you go into battle and you see it in battles uh, all the time, you have, you have a lot of good men, but usually there's one. Our one is Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be that one. For everybody around us, so I guess that's my prayer: is that that I would be the one, you know, especially there, uh, that can be a positive influence, you know, on, on so many people. Because um, it's just, to be honest with you, it's just nasty there right now. It really is. So, and that's not a good thing you know, for for us to be in, especially with what we do, right? Yeah. And if you only knew, if you only knew what went on. Just not this department. It's everywhere. So, uh, anyway, just you know, prayer for me that I can keep, you know, just being being that being that guy, you know. Um, so, just working hard trying to do that. Ken, <clears throat> I think part of what you're saying, Brian, there goes along with, of course, my my prayers. First off. I'm thinking about the country is the first thing that came to my mind. Because the country with all the nonsense that's going on here, they're dividing all of us in different ways, which leads to some of the stuff you're talking about there within yourselves at work. So, yeah, my, I am really disturbed about the stuff that's going on in the country. and, and But... Again, I need to not make that to be my priority or my first <laughs> concern. Um, yeah, I need to, to know the signs of the times. Um, I guess I guess the real most important thing that, and you guys have heard what I've said recently uh, in my prayer meditation, that... The conversation about Nehemiah and, and the whole, what he was going through, um, to spin it out, I guess, I, I pray that we would, as, a, as God's people, would look around at the condition of the spiritual temple, that our hearts would be broken and moved to action as Nehemiah did. Because um, spiritually, the, the church is somewhat in ruin. I mean... I agree. I think we'll get you what you're saying. Yeah. We wouldn't be in this spot if... I'm not saying that any of us are flawed or anything. We all have our problems, but like, if the church had done our job in the first place, we, 
our country wouldn't be here in the spot that we are. And we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to live Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13. Because the church would have done the job and our country wouldn't be what it is. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, this is the way it's always been. Times got tough and then people all of a sudden start crying out to God with throughout the book of Judges over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when times got easy, everybody kicked back and said, wow, you know, this is great life. But they turned their backs on God instead. So we as men of the church need to be like Nehemiah. Amen. Builders. Absolutely. I think we need to realize too that we there are still a lot of people lost out there. And, and we need to, to keep our focus on on saving as many as we can before the end time. And it's going to take all of us. It's not going to be one person. It's going to take all of us that are in the kingdom to keep that focus because we're waiting for that one last stone mm-hmm. one last stone building matrix yeah so we need to keep that focus well said and I think for me um, just being young, I have a lot of ambitions and having to self-evaluate and realize how many of those ambitions are temporal and how many don't really matter. And having to, kind of like what you were saying tonight at dinner, Jeremy, this isn't our home, you know? If we're too worried about America going under, then... I mean, yes, it is important that we should worry about our country and where it's going, but if we're too worried about our physical country and not worried about our spiritual country, we kind of miss the point. And for me personally to realize how many of those self-ambitions are are rolled up in this physical realm and how many are not and things that I need to have as my ambitions rather than what I do have, so. God says that we're resident aliens here. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Resident, <laughs> resident meaning you're here for official duties, uh, according to that scripture, uh, but also you're an alien because this is not our home. Mm-hmm. We're somewhere else. So we're here to perform duties, official duties, and of course those duties are of, of Christ. Um, but that we're still aliens. So we're resident aliens, is what God says. The, the, the turmoil, though, is that our official duties are often sidetracked by our personal ambitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's really the battle. Isn't that the battle? Yeah, that's really the battle. Yeah. Right? I mean, ultimately, if it doesn't matter on the other side of the clouds, it doesn't matter. Period. Mm-hmm. I exhaust our time, energy, effort, and money on things that will not matter on the other side of the world. Yep. And especially at my age, it's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, anything else? May I also add?
God, though, it's so important for us to recognize that God needs good men and women in every station and walk of life. Mm-hmm. And so if we're men of integrity and we're persevering in our faith, that whether it's TSA or it's firefighting or it's a sales representative or it's a police officer or it's someone working in a mill or designing cat systems or teaching kids how to wrestle and building houses in every walk of life, God needs a man there who's perseverant because as Ken said, it's going to draw people out of darkness into the light and we need to take the opportunities that we get and draw people in. Evangelism isn't just for the evangelist, it's for everyone and it's not that difficult. It's just loving and caring about people and when you have their trust and their ear, you share the gospel. Jeremy was saying that that uh, church at Wasion, how many years ago? It was only six people? Twelve people. Twelve people. About, been, it's been probably ten or twelve years ago. Yeah. Twelve years they went from twelve people to? They, they're over a hundred every single Sunday. <laughs> Exponential growth. Yeah, so their commitment is to everybody is responsible for working to help people become Christians. Not just the evangelist. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really important. Amen. Anything else? Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God in heaven, I'm listening to each and every prayer request it has a very similar theme that each and every one of us would look at our lives, look at our hearts, and look in the mirror of the Word of God that we would compare and um, judge ourselves and that we would fall upon the rock instead of have the rock fall on us. I pray that you would help us to um, have that considerate all joy um, mindset that whenever we encounter those trials and and temptations that we would consider all joy, that we're able to test our faith and able to um, forge that steel to um, further the, the, the kingdom. And I pray that you would help us to um, be able to live our lives at work or home or wherever, that we would realize that the fields are white for harvest. We just need to be that light and that harvester to um, guide the people to Christ. And that ultimately will spill over to our country, that if we're able to um, win the hearts um, of those around us, that um, that will eventually um, turn the base of our country, um, the population, turn them back to you. And that we have seen in history over and over again that when a country um, rejects you as its sovereign authority, that it will fall. And sadly, our country is headed that way. But I pray that you would help us to have that mindset that spiritual mindset to see um, that we have a great opportunity, that we're able to take as many people with us as we can, um, and that we would be able to stand together, and that we would um, be that light in the ever-growing, the ever-darkening world. Um, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome. All right, that was great. So I'll tell you what, I'm excited this morning to have TJ come up and... uh, TJ came out to our, our college age group here, uh, what was it, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was sitting with TJ and, and working with him on, on the lesson today, and I'll tell you what, he's got a story today that'll blow you away. Blow you away. Look at your, look at your uh, schedules. And uh, TJ and I were talking about what his title would be, and, and uh, he says, trust, trust. And then based upon the story he's going to tell that I've heard a couple times, and I am still am in awe, I can't even believe it. And that's terrible because that, that means I, I'm having a hard time believing that God could do what he did for TJ this last year. But the, the title of the sermon is Trust in Times of Trials. Oh, talk about the impossible. And uh, you're saying, well, that's not impossible. Impossible, wasn't it? There was times it was impossible. And so TJ's in these impossible situations where it's done. He's going to lose it all. But I won't take the rest of the story because it's amazing. And so the key to perseverance is trusting God is going to deliver you. The key to perseverance is trusting God that he's going to deliver you. And you know what's really cool is the core essence of faith is trust, isn't it? Think about that. The core of faith is trust. And TJ experienced the great and amazing power of God to provide uh, this last year. And I asked him if he would bring this lesson. And so in light of this lesson, we were talking and he shared with me his life story. And again, power of God to reach out and grab this guy right before he goes into the abyss. I mean, it's amazing. And that story makes me cry. It makes me smile. And and yet this story is like, I'm in awe of this one too. And so God's really working in your life. And I'm excited to have TJ come and share. And uh, he's going to do a great job. He did a great job for the young people, didn't he? It's like, oh, we're all the edge of our seat. So anyway, let's bring him on. TJ Winningham. Woohoo! TJ Winningham, man. The guy, the guy that the Lord loves. <laughs> Here you go. All right. There on. And we're recording. You stick that. Here, I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. You stick this in your pocket like that. Okay. Either one. Doesn't matter. Either one. Yeah. I'm going to go this one. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Don't be playing with it because you might turn it off. Okay. That wouldn't be too cool. And let's do it this way. Yeah, there we go. Okay, you're ready to go, man. All right. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning. Ah. All right. Um, trust and perseverance has kind of been a theme in our church. We've talked about it quite a bit. Um, perseverance, uh, man, I, I stand before you guys today um, kind of a miracle man. Like if you guys were uh, to meet me six years ago, and think that I'd be standing here speaking to you gentlemen right now, I'm telling you, like, it just makes me emotional just thinking about it, you know. Um, but anyhow, um, I love the Lord. He's, he's, he's done amazing things for me in my life, and I'm just eternally grateful. And, um, yeah, so uh, I was baptized. September 8th, uh, three years ago, uh, I, met, I met my wife shortly before that. She brought me to Christ. Um, I've always, um, I always 
knew there was God. Like I never struggled with that, but I definitely, definitely was not living my life um, how I needed to be. But since um, I, I, I sought out, I wanted to find a wife. My, my father told me, he said, if you want to fix your life, kid, you got to get a God in it. You know, like I can't help you anymore. You got to find God. And God brought me my wife. And everything since then, like we've had a checklist of things. Of, and I mean, I, I even prayed the other day. It's, uh, Jacob talked about about last night about his ambitions. And I actually have been praying lately to curb some of mine. Because it's just, you know, like, and my wife is so dedicated and to her own fault like is i'm always doing something 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 and and you know now it's starting to take away a little bit so we've had this checklist i plan to keep the checklist but i just need to like lessen it like you were talking about you know i need to just figure out the the thing so after we had gotten married um i have we have five children so finding a place and renting renting a home five or six bedrooms is expensive, right? I mean, you guys know what, what the cost of that is. I mean, um, so we thought we, I mean, it's always been our goal is to own our own home, our own home. And um, we decided that we were going to do that. And we started looking. Uh, the market right now, I don't know if everybody's aware of it, but it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Um, so when we started looking, everything was either too expensive or was just being bought right in front of us. Like the, the moment, like their houses are sitting on the market for like 16 hours before they get their first offer or people are just paying cash. So we really couldn't compete. Uh, but I had a secret weapon and that, that was my wife. That was my wife. And she had to figure out, um, a way that we could go about it. Not only did we have to find something in our price range, we had to make it to where we were going to have to get a fixer upper. Right. And I, would have to be the one to do the work and not only do the work, but I got to get paid through the company that I work for, uh, while doing it. It was actually, uh, extremely difficult, um, process, like, but my wife, smart lady, and she is a bulldog when she decides like, this is what we're going to do. She will read through the fine print and just make it happen. Amen. So we called our uh, previous landlord. We're looking for the home, right? We got to find the home. We've, she, she's already done the research on how we can go about it. So we know what we got to come up with. We call our old landlord and um, we said, hey, we are trying to buy a home. We're paying, you know, all this money in rent and we had a really good rapport with her. So she said, well, it's funny you called because my brother lent these people this money and they haven't paid it back. And it's 
the house is going to go into foreclosure, you might go talk to these people before that happens. It kind of sounds like a perfect scenario for you guys. I mean, so I go and I knock on the door and I walk up to this place and I'm like, ooh, man. Right? Uh, fixer upper. <laughs> fixer upper. And I'm just telling myself the whole way I'm walking up to the door before I knock on the door, I'm like, fixer upper. This is what I do. I can do this, you know? And I, and I knock on the door and this fellow, we'll talk about him here in a minute. Uh, <laughs> guy is named David. Well, they had borrowed this money and totally, um, I don't want to talk too much about these people's life choices, but they're definitely, uh, you know, I pray for them, you know, and, 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 um, how they, how they go about things. But, um, the guy answers the door and I, and, and I ask him, said, Hey, and I mean, I'm, I mean, this is like a cold knock. These guys don't know I'm coming over. They don't know about the situation. They don't know anything. And I said, Hey, I'm interested in buying your house. And he's crossed on. He's like, how much? <laughs> That's his first words. That's it. How much? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, how much is it worth? He said, well, I got an offer the other day for 190. I mean, this is like our first couple sentences to each other. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm in the market. You know, I, I, I do these things. I build remodels. I said, well, I mean, just, I mean, I haven't looked very hard, but I don't think I'd have a hard time giving you two, 200,000 bucks. And in my mind, he told me he had an offer for 190,000. I just upped it by 10 grand. I don't think I'm, you know, I haven't really looked. I haven't been in the home. I haven't looked at the foundation. I haven't done anything. Um, so he says, okay, give me your phone number. I'll give you a call back. And uh, that was it for some time. We go, we're, we're diligently looking for houses. And we just, nothing, nothing for months, months and months. We can't find, not only can we not find anything in our price range, it's just doors are just being shut. Finally, one of these guys told us, hey, it's not that your offer isn't going to be good. It's, it's that these folks from California are selling their homes. And I'm doing you a favor by telling you that if you make an offer on this house, I got a guy who's going to beat your offer by 7%. And I got 90 days to take in all the offers I can get. And he's going to pay me cash. So he went home like, man just defeated right and uh the people that we had originally called called us and they called us and they said well we're considering everything but we want to find out how much the house is worth fair enough you know nobody i don't know i only said two hundred thousand because you said 190 you know i wasn't trying to lowball you would um because they you know and, and um 
they uh, they come come back to us a few weeks later, and we keep praying about this house because I and drove by it a few times, and it does it has a lot of potential. Okay, it is run down; it has not been taken care of, and but I I, I see the diamond diamond in the rough, <laughs> the rough. So <laughs> so we keep praying about it, and a few months go by and we've just struck out left and right trying to find other places and uh finally this guy calls and he says we'll take 265,000 okay well now i don't you know like hey we'll take it that wasn't the deal but we've been praying we've been praying about it we've been praying for this house specifically we have it appraised and it's still that's still a really good deal granted he went up you know sixty five thousand dollars but it's still way below market value um coming uh to find out that they are in a uh bankruptcy and a foreclosure so they need the bankruptcy to go through and if we get approved for the house they'll kind of grant them the bankruptcy knowing that they're going to get the money and the foreclosure but if it doesn't happen by a certain time the house is going up for auction and when it was forty thousand dollars below market value as it sat um someone's going to swoop it you can't just go to the auction because you got to have cash like I'd have to have two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars cash. I definitely don't have that. Uh, so we uh, we get approved. Everything is go. Their bankruptcy goes through, and literally the attorney that handled their uh, bankruptcy had to run down to the courthouse and take it off as it was being auctioned. Like, as it was being auctioned. And so, hey, nope, not for sale. Take her down. You know, oh, put that one aside. That's first, first God's hand right there. Just that, man, close calls. I mean, this whole story. This story should be a movie. This is like a love story. There's there's action. There's, there's all sorts of things. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm Tom Cruise in this one, you know. <laughs> uh, so they take it off the auction block, um, and everything appears to be going through. So we are approved, we're gonna buy the house, we go down and uh, we got to do all the details through the company that I work for. Steve Dorman, fantastic human being. He was allowed me to do this um, through his company, the the remodel, which is, you know, um, when we started, everything was super cordial with these people. I mean, they didn't have to lose their home. They were, they uh, well, they they're selling their home. But, I mean, they were going to get nothing. 
you know, absolutely nothing but a giant foreclosure, all these, all these things. There's no, no positive. So in my mind, I'm thinking, man, we really helped these guys out. They helped us out. This is like a win, win, win. Unfortunately, you know, they didn't, they didn't see it that way. Um, we, we started construction on the home on November 6th. All of the, the, because this is such a special situation, uh, the contracts are like being written as we go. And like I said in the beginning, very cordial, very, everything is, is totally, um, you know, we help you, you help me type deal. And in, in the future, I would never do anything like this again. This is the, the only time that I would, and if I didn't, like me and my wife are feel a hundred percent at this point that God wants us to have this home. It wouldn't go away. Like it kept coming back, kept coming back. We couldn't find anything else. It kept coming back. Um, if these people would have just said, hey, I'm going to put it on the market months prior, they would have sold it just like that. You know, but it kept coming back to us. So the reason, a large part of the reason that we decided to buy the house is because we felt like God wanted it for us. And that was going to be, you know, part of our story. And, and, and it, and it, it ended up being that way. Uh, we uh, start on the home November 6th. Everything, like I said before, is kind of being written up as we go uh, through these things called addendums. So every few weeks, the addendums would have to change and be rewritten. Uh, one red flag that I didn't realize in the beginning is that they didn't have a real estate agent doing any of their things. Uh, they kept their, um, bankruptcy attorney to do all of their stuff with the buying the house. This isn't really like a, an attorney type situation typically. And, but it was in this one and I'll find out the reason why later. Uh, when I, st I started on November 6th and I started having materials showed up and they originally had a place to move. Like that was not going to be an issue. And I'm, I have a contract that says I can start on the home November 6th. My original plan is to go inside and address everything and work my way outside. Well, I don't realize that these guys don't have anywhere to go. So, so I start on the outside. I start on the outside and there is every obstacle. I mean, there was 10 t dump truck loads of trash, dump truck loads of trash on the outside in the perimeter stacked against the house. They had these 110 pound pit bulls that were not gonna let me in the backyard. Um, but I start siding. <laughs> I start siding, I have all my, my, my materials show up and uh, they don't 
like the banging on the house. So you can't start until nine o'clock. And thinking like, uh, I, I can't start at nine o'clock. I start at seven o'clock. Um, I need, I, we have a time line here, right? Uh, which gets dramatically worse here in a minute. Uh, so all these addendums aren't signed. All the timelines aren't signed yet, but I know the only thing I have in writing is that I can start on the house on the 6th. And this guy is progressively becoming more and more confrontational like the banging on the house. He won't allow me to replace the windows. Uh, this is the first week. Finally, it gets to about day 11, I believe. And he comes out and he's in my face. And um, I finally, I'm like, hey, what do I got to do to get you out of the house? Like, I only have so much time that you guys haven't come up with yet for me to get this done what does it take well we don't have anywhere to go okay uh let's figure that out together let's let's you know i'm trying to be a good christian here i'm trying my hardest to deal with this guy who screams in my face on a daily basis how how can i help you out like what what can i do like I, you're stressed out you don't have anywhere to go okay we, we this is happening regardless like let's let's figure it out so he said well if we could just get a fifth wheel i have this other place that we we can get into but it'll take some time i just need a fifth wheel i said okay let me call my wife my wife figures out a way called earnest money through our it, they take it directly out of our down payment and then it comes out of their what they would get at the end um but it's early so they got to sign these things called addendums. Uh, addendums. <laughs> so uh, we do that. We get them 8000 bucks to move out, buy, buy a fifth wheel, and get a spot to rent it. And buy the, they get the trailer. We even, my wife has to find the trailer for them. You know, these guys are not going to do anything like as far as work is concerned or research or anything. My wife finds it, buys it, even just trying to pick it up for them anyways. Uh, they go and they buy it. And I show up the next morning. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be able to work on the house. I don't have anybody yelling at me. I don't have, you know, and he parks his fifth wheel right in front over not only in front of where I'm working, but over the top of my siding package. So I can't even get to my materials to do it. I have to slide each piece out from underneath this fifth wheel. Um, and uh, it gets to a point where I've run out of patience. My patience, you know, had, had, expired at this point and <laughs> uh my wife was able to get a hold of the attorneys and pretty much force them to leave and it doesn't dawn on me why they're it felt like like this guy is literally trying to slow me down um and and that's ex exactly what he was doing 
Um, they finally get out of there and we open up the house. It is full of trash. And I mean, there's 11 mattresses, couches, there's four couches, there's five stoves. There is, this is a crazy craziness. It was the way things were done, the way we bought it. Like I got five minutes to look at the house and that was it. And that's obviously the reason why, you know, um, so they're out of the home, um, and, and we finally get all of the addendums, but part of the contracts are kind of in, like, if they don't agree to them, this whole deal goes away. So what they end up doing is giving me an unrealistic timeline. I have six weeks to complete the entire remodel to where it has to be appraised for more than the loan. Now I've added $50,000 on top of market value because of the loan and how much it was going to take. So now I got to make sure that this thing appraises for $450,000 in six weeks. And this place is a nightmare, like a nightmare. Uh, we sign the contracts. I, I'm in it now. You know, I have all, all our money. I mean, if you want to find out if, if you can really like, that's the, one of the things I'll never, ever forget is my wife. If you want to find out how, if you can trust somebody, you take your whole life savings together, put it in an, in a, in a, in a risky investment and then have it go south and see who sticks by you, buddy. Cause there was never, you know, in the beginning, all I prayed for, cause I seen so many well, uh, you know, I do remodels and, and people think that they can just gut their whole home and live out of an ice chest and do all these things and not get on each other's nerves. A lot of divorces, breakups, a lot of strain on someone's marriage can come from either building a home or remodeling a home. And I've seen it a lot. And in the beginning, our prayers were for the home and then when we got the home, it was, let's just work together. Let's not fight. Like, let's, let's not let this thing ruin anything for us. And that's one of the biggest accomplishments throughout this whole thing. I did not get in one argument, not one bad word, not one anything the entire time. And that was, and she stuck by me. She, you know what I mean? Like nothing, but let's figure it out the whole time. You know, like that's, things went, our, everything could be gone because of the, all these things. Never, ever did she ever, it was always, let's figure it out. This is what God wants for us. This is, this is what's, this is, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is what God wants. 
Never one time. So bless her heart. You know, because I'm sure I wasn't that easy to deal with. <laughs> um, but in the beginning, when I got it and they said the six weeks to me, I got this. I got it. No problem. Not a not a worry. I, I do this. I'm TJ Winningham. I don't miss deadlines. I make it happen every time. And uh, my ego, I'll be the first to tell you, man, like I am a competitive person and I definitely allowed my ego to get in the way. So if you guys turn... Uh, to Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, but let him who boast boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises love and kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And right then and there, I should have been not, I'm TJ Winningham. I should have said, Jesus, please help me. You know, I should have, I, I, you know, I just said, I do this for a living. I do this for a living. I should have known better. You know what I mean? But when it was in my when it was in my situation, because if somebody would have come to me, they would I I was my plan was I'm just gonna work until I can't work anymore. And I did. But it was just an impossible task. But because this was my money and my home and my family and all my things, that it, nope, I'm this I got this. Don't worry about it. And now it's in writing. And I got to do it. So, you know, my ego. You know, that's all I have to say about that. You know? And it just... Yeah, I got it. I'm TJ William. You know, I'm going to do this. And uh, right then and there, I was like... My, that's my first mistake in this endeavor. Is that I should have just... Okay, do you brought me here. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And that would have saved me a mountain of stress. A mountain. Okay. Uh, ego again. Here. See, show it again. James 4, 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives the grace to the humble. You know, I should have humbled myself a much, much earlier in this story. <laughs> much earlier. But I didn't. Uh, so, I'm relying on myself. I prayed. I prayed for the home. I prayed that I didn't fight with my wife. Those are great things. And I'm not doing... That's happening. My prayers have, are, are being answered. But, you know, I should have really thought through this a little more and um, ask for help and, and not been so self-reliant. I thought, you know, I'll just, I, I worked every day, seven days a week. 
till I couldn't lift an arm, you know, until I was literally falling asleep, standing up seven days a week. Uh, <laughs> that is literal. And, 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 uh, my brother-in-law, he worked right beside me every day, every day for only, I'm only paying him for eight hours, but he's working 15, 16, 17 hours a day. So bless his heart. Uh, COVID had just begun. COVID had just started. Like it was around, but um, in the trades or anybody that requires anything at this time, it's terrible now, but at this time it was crazy. Like they were shutting down things. There were stores that were completely shut down. Not alone, I couldn't wear a mask. They weren't even open. I have to have materials. Um, building anything in that time was a nightmare. Like this is, it was probably the worst time. I mean, to pick, to, to in history, maybe. I, I don't know. I wasn't back, you know, in the depression or anything. But in my life, by far, like this, there was a shortage of insulation. I couldn't get certain thicknesses of drywall um, because it just wasn't here. It wasn't being shipped. There was, it was impossible. It was impossible to get because it wasn't here. Um, the, my timeline, the, the timeline, like six weeks, 2,100 square feet, and everything I opened, I had to rebuild. Like this, they didn't have... Uh, in 1960, they didn't even have to have a permit or an inspection of any kind. So everything I opened, I have to have inspected now because I've opened it. Uh, and Mr. David, the guy I'd talked to before, had called the building department on me. So now I, I almost got red flagged uh, because they took two and a half weeks to get out of the home. Uh, I was putting a beam in and typically I would make sure that I have all my permits in advance, but I didn't know what the house required. I didn't know what was load bearing. I didn't know any of these things because I wasn't allowed into the home. Like I was supposed to be in there November 6th. So I get in, I was like, okay, well this wall's gotta go. We got an open floor plan and we're gonna knock out the wall and put in a beam. I'll get my permits after. And as long as it's open and I have a good rapport, like I know these guys by first name, um, and that really was my plan, but when he called the building department and I'm installing a beam on a load bearing wall on a 2000 square foot house with a second story above it, um, it does not look good. Like he walked in, he's like, TJ, what are you doing? Like Robert, <laughs> I, I'm putting in a beam, a 33 foot beam actually. And uh, I was gonna come down and get the permits. And he's like, 
I know you are now, for sure. I, I can't say that you were for sure going to before, but you definitely are now. And I want to see the scope of work on everything. So typical walls that anything that that's being exposed, I have to have looked at by the inspector. Uh, <laughs> and everything I'm opening up will not pass inspection. Like every single wall, there was doors without a header in it. There was windows with no headers in it. There's uh, the layout <laughs> it, on the wall is two foot on center on a two by four exterior wall. And they're supposed to be 16 on center. So, oh, this is just like, and, and of course, uh, two by fours are like 11 bucks a piece. And I'm pretty much rebuilding my home from the inside out. And that's not how you do it. Uh, you know what I mean? That's, that's, uh, that's just not how it's typically done. And I am just watching this bill. You know, I've only got so much money. You know, I already know I'm just going to blow through my budget and I'm going to owe money, extra money that I got to come up with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, it's becoming harder and harder and harder and harder. And I'm not praying. I'm not praying. I'm not saying a word. To God, I am completely relying on myself from the moment I wake up. You know, I should be praying on my way there. I should be praying while I'm there. And I should be thanking Him on my way home. And I am doing none of these things. And it is, you could just watch. My sister came and, and visited me. She said, TJ, you look like you aged 10 years. Like, is this house going to kill you? Is that is that what's going on? Like, you... You, whatever's you know genuinely worried about me and I was you know not uh not doing good right and I'm not praying I'm not praying I should have been thinking back like God brought me here brought God brought this to me he wants this for me you know um I couldn't find a plumber I couldn't find an electrician I couldn't find uh, anybody, like, it was just, like, the worst time in the world to do these things, and I prayed, finally prayed, but it was for a plumber, it wasn't to help me or anything, it wasn't any of that, I prayed, I prayed, and it was for a plumber, lo and behold, one came the very next day, I should have thought, I prayed, God sent me a plumber, <laughs> Wow, that, you know, bing, I'm not, you know, I'm a work in progress, gentlemen. I'm a work in progress. Yeah, we are. Yeah, and I meet this guy and I think to myself, like, I don't know, I'm not going to use him. I prayed and God sent me a plumber and you rejected him. I, and I, re and I reject him. <laughs> And not only is he, uh, turns out to come find out later, after I did some research, he's really good. He was really cheap. He was right on time. He, you know, so if I was doing the whole trust God thing, 
I should have just shook hands, signed our contract. Here you go. There's so he bids my job at seven thousand dollars. There's another company called Brothers Plumbing. I can tell you that our relationship definitely goes south in this story. The is actually bidding. He shows up at the same time uh, as this guy comes for his. Uh, he he had come in by himself originally and then came back to look at the scope of work and find sharpen his pencil on his bid to make sure he could give me a hard number because that a hard price um and brothers plumbing shows up and he the guy gives me his bid and um my project manager's there after he leaves and says hey these guys said they could do it for seven what are you guys you guys in that ballpark we're not familiar with him. He, yep, right in that ballpark. And I had used them a lot. And I didn't, um, you know, I they were reputable in my thoughts, but that wasn't who God sent me. That's who Brad Anderson sent me. And, uh, you know, and anyways, the... They say, yep, we're right in that, that ballpark. We can start tomorrow. I'm like, okay, well, what do you think, Brad? Brad's like, yeah, we use these guys all the time. Let's just keep it in-house and, 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 and use them. Well, they end up costing me $21,000. My $7,000 plumber that God sent me was right in my price range. And my project manager's plumber, not only did he charge me $21,000, um took about three times longer than anticipated, it cut holes through all my ceiling joists so big where they will no longer pass inspection and I have to get these special things called stud shoes to repair them and I cannot drywall over and not to mention, they're gonna take a week and a half to get here. I, I don't have weeks and a halves. I have none of these things. I have minutes I'm trying to, you know, and uh, all of these things are starting to accumulate and it starts the time clock. I'm at about the halfway point. I have no drywall on the wall. I have everything demoed. I have my plumbers are doing more damage than it's worth and costing me three times the amount of money. Um, every single thing is just starting to snowball in a bad way. And I still haven't prayed. I prayed for a plumber. There he was. But I still... So at the end of the day, it's like, it's like about 8.30 at night. I have to have a... Uh, we put a bathroom upstairs, so I have to finish this wall. I had already sheeted it on the floor. I'd framed one side, and then I had to do my uh, shower. Um, the I go upstairs, and the plumber, plumber has cut a 12-inch hole where it shouldn't be and put a toilet in the wrong spot. And I have, you know... All, I, it dawns on me that I have just 
I have glued down the floor and ring shank nailed the plywood down through the ceiling and I had built a wall on top of it and now I've got plumbing in the wrong spot and a gaping hole. I have to reframe this. I have to I have to cut this whole floor out tonight and have this thing ready by tomorrow so that when they get here they can move the plumbing and then I can have my shower installed so that they can finish plumbing that. And it broke me. It it broke me to the point where I literally I hit my knees. And I mean I hit my knees and I cried. I cried like a puddle of tears beneath me in the hallway in between my son's room and the bathroom. And I begged him. I prayed to him. I prayed so hard about everything and I apologized to him about everything and I had all had dawned on me that I had not prayed to him and I had not asked for help. And it finally comes to the point where I cannot do this without you. Like I was so stupid to think that there's one ounce that I could have done this on my own. Like all my stupidity is just hit me like a ton of bricks and it is grinding me into the ground. So I prayed and I prayed. I, I didn't touch the bathroom. I did not even, I just cried for an hour and prayed or more. And, uh, I go home, I go home and I'm just defeated. And I sit on the end of my bed and cry to my wife. Like I am apologizing everything I have put our home, our finances, we're going to lose this home. Oh, I'll, I'll back backtrack. Uh, Ross, after what, what, what causes me to break is I'm sitting outside and causes me is that this guy, David had called me. This, this was my, my breaking, breaking. He called me and he had told me, I want to come by and see the house. I don't think you're going to finish in time and I'm going to sue you. And you're not going to get that house. Uh, and that, well, I was, I was less than pleased with what he was saying. Anyways, throughout our conversation, David decided he didn't want to come by anymore. And decided not to come by, which is definitely for the best. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that would have gone well. It was not a good time. Uh, so I go home and I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting, I'm sitting at the end of my wife's, on the bed and my wife's like, what's wrong, babe? And I, sobbing, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. I, I've done everything I could do and I just can't do it. Like, I just can't do it. I, I. 
we're not going to make it. I've lost our, all our money. I've put our home. We don't have a, we, our, our house is being rented three days after we're supposed to be out of this, uh, into this other house. I got till December 7th at five o'clock Eastern time to have this thing completed. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm defeated, right? And uh, I'll go ahead and turn to your books. Two. Proverbs 13, four. The, slow, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. A righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. That was after, you know, that it, it's all dawning on me, especially after he had called to tell me, you, you can't do it, man. I knew you couldn't do it. And it, this is their, their thing the whole time is that I'm going to, uh, do all this work and this guy did nothing and he's going to steal it from me. And there goes my whole life saving. There goes everything. My, my wife have scrimped and saved every, just to get this down payment or for this home, all these things start to just destroy me destroy me but in the hallway in my pathetic mess god heard me and whatever i said however i humbled myself enough finally finally humbling myself enough to ask for his help it reminded me of my kids when I'm wanting, they want, I could see they need help with something. And I, hey, let me help you out. Nope. I got it, dad. Just, I, well, I got a really easy way to do that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I've got this. You know, they just sit there. Okay. Let me know when you need some help. I'm right here. <laughs> right? And... <laughs> That's what I was. That's what I was doing. Just the, nope. I got this. Don't worry. I'm TJ Winningham and I got this. You know? So whatever I said, and it was a lot. Like I, I've only prayed like that a few times in my life where I was just, please. I can't do it without you. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I was. I was stupid. You know? So, whatever I said made the big man happy. And he stepped in. And it was beautiful. You gotta listen to this. I'm not, I, I'm not kidding around. Within the next day, the next day, uh, my friend Joe shows up. I finally got all my interior stuff buttoned up so where I can start putting uh, drywall back on. 
I haven't called anybody. My wife has reached out a little bit on social media, but my friend uh, Joe shows up and he says, hey, I heard you need some help. And I'm like, yeah, I just need to find drywall. If I can get my drywall here, uh, you want to help me with some drywall? He's a drywaller. And uh, this guy is not a drywaller. Like, this guy can put up drywall faster than I can bring it to him. Right? After he stops by, I get phone call. I got my insulation that I was looking for at the warehouse sitting here. We can deliver it. You've got it. And you can deliver it. Fantastic. Send it down, buddy. They're there. Next day. Yeah. The next day, they, they come and they bring all of my stuff. Here comes in Joe. He We can't even keep up with this cat with insulation. And he is cutting and zipping like you have never seen. Man, I was amazed that I can do it. I'm, a, I'm in the trades. I can do drywall. This guy can do drywall man this guy is hanging sheets and cutting he's multi he's cutting one time i'm watching him and he's cutting something with his holding his tape and running his knife down the thing while looking at me cuts it breaks it off and puts it up and it just fits perfect and i'm just everybody started showing up ben from church when I met I met Ben, uh, he was introduced and told me what he did. I'm an electrical engineer, and I judge in a book by its cover, right? Office guy, you know. He had even called. He said, "Hey, uh, yeah, I'd like to come by and help you out." Uh, well, I need all the help I can get. You know, here's my address, and I'll see you when I see you. Not expecting anything from him uh that dude was installing doors as fast as i could bring them to him he did doors he did electrical he fixed some of the trim on the outside i mean this dude got with it some of the floors part of the stairs the list goes on and on mr wybert's been steady eddie the entire time showing up and encouraging me and, and helping caulking and, and everything else. But I mean, it's, I feel like Moses and the Red Sea, like the miracle, like you see in the, the movie, like I, I don't know if there was music playing when it happened, but it's like, oh, right. But I felt like that because everybody in the world, not only the materials are showing up that were, didn't exist, people are just showing up left and right to help me put everything to back together and i'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel like i'm like holy moly like this is actually might happen like i'm starting to feel it when i should know because god pro but god I, he created the heaven and the earth the air that we breathe and the honeybees right I should have no doubt. I am definitely feeling this. Like, I am like, this is going to happen. Like, I don't, you know, there's, we're a long way off, 
but this is gonna happen. Uh, so we'll go back after I prayed. The uh, humility of it all. Turn your books to Psalm 34. Four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescued them. You believe that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say, man. The Lord loves me, man. And that's a great feeling. You know, I was at my lowest. I thought I lost everything. And would have, I imagine, if I didn't seek his help. Right? He brought me that far. The least I could do is thank him. I hadn't even thanked him. How terrible. How terrible. I sit and think about that like, man, that's awful. You know? Uh, where am I here? All right. Trust, trust. Like I should have, like I said, he do anything. You know, it's like I should have just known in my heart that this is, I can't lose. You know, not because of me. Get rid of my ego part of it, right? And if anything, the way everything had transpired, And looking back at it, if I had lost it and I had relied on God and I, and I was looking back and the gain, how much it helped my marriage, just genuinely seeing that person, like our whole, everything that we had worked for falling apart. And the fact that she just didn't waver, you know, like everything, we're going to lose it all. And step, well, that's what happens. It's not going to, but, you know, yeah. She trusted the whole time. So if I'd lost everything, I would still say that was worth it. To realize that you person that you're sharing your life with is just 110% got your six. Well, didn't work out. You know, I would, I hope that I would be the same. You know, that's quite the deal. You know, if you think about it, like everything, our home, everything up, well, you know, it's going to work out, you know, not, not because I mean, it would have been so easy for either one of us to be, you know, the whole time, not an argument, not an argument one. 
we've had our share of in our marriage. But when we prayed, like, hey, we're going to do this together, and we took the time out to pray about it and say, hey, let's just get through this together and not let this affect anything for us. Did it, man. We did it. And and it, it was amazing. And I, so if I'd have lost it all, if I'd have lost all of it, I'd have had that. And I would have been worth everything. It would have been worth everything. So... Uh, Psalms 22:4. it says, In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And that's uh, it's a pretty good deal. And I, uh, I, you know, I'm going to live my life this way, you know, and, and when things, unfortunately, it takes things like that where, you know, completely being defeated to feel that way. I wish I didn't have to come to things like that in order to feel like that, but, you know, it, it did for me and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give an example of how I'm using it in my life now is that, um, I've always wanted to, uh, coach a wrestling team, a high school wrestling team, like a legitimate high school wrestling team. Um, for guys like me, that's like big leagues as far as coaching is, is concerned. And I got an interview just the other day, just the other day, I'm heading out to my interview and it dawns on me, you better pray. And I pray and I said, you know, Lord, don't, don't give me what I want. Do what's best for me and do what's best for my family. Because it's quite the undertaking, driving out to Junction City five days a week, plus tournaments on the weekend, plus, you know what I mean? My wife already gives up enough, you know, and she was on board. She did the application. She did all the things. She made my resume look amazing, right? And when uh, I got a phone call telling me I didn't, I didn't get the job, I was relieved. I was relieved. In the past, I would have been very upset. I would have been very upset. I'd have been like, you know, I would have want, wanted to find another team close to them so that I could beat them, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, but no, no, I was genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, um, uh, I felt, you know, relieved because I, I know that, that that wasn't for me. And then another job opened up two days after that and I applied and I got it. So uh, it's an assistant coaching job, but it's a lot easier on the family and it's a better fit for me and it's actually perfect right so boom one door closed another door opens i prayed to the man he found something that worked for me personally right um i uh so we get the house pretty close deadlines are coming it's uh I have no doubt. I've lost all feeling of this can't be done. 
I know it's going to happen. Uh, it gets to the wire. My final inspection, I have to have this done December 7th. My final inspection for my final is December 7th at 11.30. I have to have emails from my inspector to my real estate loan officer, from my loan officer uh, to from the inspector to the appraiser to from the appraiser to the real estate from the real estate to their office back east by five o'clock eastern, eastern. eastern time of course right and this we find out the eastern time part like three days before because at first i'm like dude with a couple emails would be all right no big deal well eastern time buddy uh yeah so uh we <laughs> We, December 7th rolls in, I am installing the handrail that goes up my stairs as the inspector shows up an hour and a half late, oh. of course. And, uh, well, it's the same inspector that watched me put in a beam without permits. So, you know, he's really going through everything with a fine tooth comb and he... <laughs> I just humble myself and I'm like, Robert, like I, if you're upset about the beginning, like I apologize. And I, I have to get these emails. I explain the situation like this, this has to happen by five o'clock and Eastern time. <laughs> no, he's like, typically I just do that at the end of the day, TJ. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, I will have lost this house. I will, you know, I, I, every end of the day. Like, I, I don't know if you can make an exception, but I, I'm, I would appreciate it if you did. Uh, he says, I'll see what I can do, you know, <laughs> and uh, I knew he's going to do it. I knew they were going to get it. I knew. And that was a great feeling. Like I didn't have to have a heart attack, you know, cause if I hadn't, you know, I knew I was going to win. I don't. And I, I don't know how to explain it, the feeling that I had, but I just knew. And I'm talking minutes. Like that got done with minutes. So all those emails transpired and got to where they had to go. And we got the thumbs up within minutes of it, of our deadline, of our impossible deadline. 2,100 square foot house, complete remodel, gutted, uh, trash from floor to ceiling and around. Oh, my goodness. It was a nightmare, but I knew it and it did. It did. And, uh, and I, and the feeling of knowing that that was going to happen was, was pretty amazing for me. And, uh, I was sitting, uh, <laughs> after all this is all, uh, I was, I'll close, close with this. Uh, I, I was sitting in my living room and, and, uh, Mike Harbor would always come and, and pay a visit during uh, family camp when he'd come. And I'm telling him this story about how, you know, and walking him through and I'm showing him this and I'm showing him that. And he didn't say a word the whole time. And I tell him, I said, I, I finally prayed and God help me, Mike. Isn't that awesome? And... He's like, yeah, that is. 
But what, what took you so long? <laughs> and I mean, really, that, so that would be, uh, I guess my call to action for you gentlemen is that, especially you younger gentlemen, is that you don't need to allow it uh, to consume you so much as that if you just trust in him and just know that uh, he's got your best interest in mind, um, it'll all work out. And that's what I got. Thank you guys. Man, I, I sure appreciate Blake. You know what? They're servants in the body of Christ and this guy is ever present and always available. And you know, a lot of the young bucks in our congregation are that way. I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, when there's something that needs to be taught and I ask him to teach it, you know, Logan has stepped up, he's done a great job. You know, Blake has stepped up recently, Jake has stepped up recently. And you know, it's, it's awesome when those guys step up and they, they, they put the pedal to the metal and deliver the message. And as you well know, that's the second message that TJ's ever preached. Now, he's not the young man like Jake or Blake, but man, I'll tell you what, he's a young man and he's got her, got her dialed in. How many thought that was an awesome message this morning? Man, that was amazing. That was just amazing. It's awesome. So, appreciate that. Appreciate the guys who are here tonight. We're going to turn to number 69. Number 69 before we bring up our next speaker. Ohioan, right? Is that what you're Ohioan? Ohioan? Can I say an Ohioan? It's a Buckeye, Ohioan. Okay. It's a buck. What? No one's really afraid of Buckeye. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> Sound the battle cry. <laughs> Sound the battle cry. See the foes right. Maze the dander die for the Lord. Gird your armor on. Stand firm, everyone. Rest your cause upon his holy word. Rouse and soldiers, rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna! Christ is captain of the mighty throng, strong to meet the foe. Marching on we go, while our cause we know must prevail. Shield and banner bright, gleaming in the light, battling for the right we ne'er can fail. Rouse and soldiers, rally round the banner. Ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna! Christ is captain of the mighty throng. O thou God of all, hear us when we call. Help us one and all by thy grace. When the battle's done and the victory's won, may we wear the round before thy face. Rouse and soldiers, rally round the banner. Ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna! Christ is captain of the mighty throng. Well, I got to tell you that I really like this uh, Buckeye guy, this Ohioan guy. And uh, he's become a, a real rock star around the Pleasant Hill congregation. And, you know, he's... It's kind of becoming a staple uh, of the uh, Oregon family camp. And every time he decides to show up, he's going to be preaching. And I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. 
You know, I know he says he's not a very good preacher, but I'm telling you what, he right he reminds me a lot of Kirk Parks, man. I'll tell you, Kirk Parks can really deliver a message. And uh, I got a real treat for you coming up. And uh, Ken knows about it. Uh, you know, Kirk is doing a, a series on 2 Timothy. But he's got another series coming up. But we're going to have him main line, main time, Sunday morning. And I'm going to step down and just sit and listen. Okay, it's kind of how you transition out. I'm not transitioning out quite yet. But I tell you what, Kirk's got something going on that, man, you need to know. And he's able to find in the scriptures the things that are there. When you hear it, you go, that's exactly right. Well, you know, that's the same way with this guy. Now, Jeremy's a little younger, but man, he's a seasoned guy. When I say seasoned, I mean he really knows how to take the scriptures apart, get what needs to be heard, and deliver it in a way that you can pick it up and you can run with it on Monday morning. You might even be able to run with it tomorrow, depending on where you work and whatnot. So if you take a look at your little sheet there, it says persevering faith in the workplace. I'll tell you what, it's becoming more and more dangerous to be overtly Christian in the workplace. And I'll tell you what, I think it's going to grow more so. And so if you do not have the faith, you young bucks that are coming up and are going to want to get work, and they're going to try to muzzle you right out of the chute. They're going to try and shut you down. It's going to be tough. It's tough right now. And I'm not sure what you got brewing, but I know that most men find their identity in what they do. And it's a very important part of their life to be able to provide for their families, physical family and church family. The devil knows that. So he knows that this is a prime place to target you. But this is the prime place for us to crush the devil's head in. See? So it's the mindset, gentlemen. And again, I'm excited about what Jeremy's going to deliver. I know he's going to do a great job. So I want you to listen carefully, take note, and then I want you to apply it. Test him to see if it's true, but I'm confident. So let's give it up for Jeremy Wilson, Buckeye O'Howland. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thanks. <laughs> that was a heartfelt thank you. Appreciate there. that. Yeah. <laughs> now don't touch any buttons on here because you'll turn yourself Just off. Put it in my pocket. Yeah. Now watch this. I'm not touching nothing. Look. Right here. Right here. Okay. Hey guys. I'm uh, genuinely happy to be with you. Um, you know, you ever. Uh, had an experience where uh, guys have talked and talked and talked, but they haven't said anything at all. Like they have all those words, but like nothing was said. That is not uh, what has happened here today. Um, I don't know about you, like I'm, I'm so floored and humbled about the two messages that were preached today. Like. Um, just genuinely feel like I do not belong here because that was so good. Like you guys, it was amazing. So, uh, I'm, man, it has been so good. You guys have said volumes. Um, I, uh, for a really long time, I know you guys can't understand this. Jake, you'll be able to maybe coincide with me. Like I grew up in the church 
I did not have um, I did not have experiences like you guys. I did not have a hard life. I had parents who loved me, who raised me in the church, who taught me to love, who guided me. Um, I never tried a cigarette. I never tried a drink of alcohol. I've never done a drug. I have never been part of a bad crowd. I've never been arrested. And so I often feel incredibly inept um, when I'm with men who have had world experience. But <clears throat> the older I get, the more I find my place because they want their sons to be like me. Amen. And so now I can say, okay, it can be done, men. It can be done. I don't care what the world wants to tell you. I don't care what everybody wants to communicate to you about being social or, you know, having your kids at home or, well, they can't go and have fun. They can't have world experiences. They, they can and I'm proof of it, and I appreciate the fact that um, eventually we, we find our place, guys like Jake and me. And um, so it can be done. I just want to encourage you um, about that. No, you're good. That's, that's going to work. Okay, cool. Turn your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read a text that was quoted by Brian uh, Bragg and preached on by Bill. Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to start there. And um, you guys started talking about it, and I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, uh, you know. And um, so, uh, you know, before I do start, I, I want to tell you this. Um, I don't, um, I get to travel a lot and things like that, but I do not get to get away with the men. Like, we just don't do that where we're at and I'm not positive why but um <clears throat> it is a really good thing to be amongst men of character to be with men that I know are grinding the grind that are going through the same things trying to be disciplined men men of integrity men who do the right thing when nobody's looking and um it's a rare thing these days and so like to have all these men in the same place who have that same mindset like to me that's it's a really powerful thing like it's a really very real very genuine very down-to-earth thing and um, I'm enjoying it immensely and um, I gotta think that it's probably the most important thing going on in this state currently Amen. I can't think there's anything more important going on what's happening right here Amen. and so I'm I'm happy to be a part of it um, we're going to read uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read, start with 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. <clears throat> you, think, uh, you think spiritual burnout's a real thing? 
as much as people don't want to act like it. They, I mean, who wants anyone to know that I don't have everything perfectly under control? That I don't do the right thing all the time? Who wants other people to know that I'm tired and sometimes I'm hungry and cranky or, and I have some de- character develop issues? Like issues. And um, I think that uh, emotional exhaustion is a very real thing. And so, and so um, I want to, I want to make sure that you guys understand um, when we're talking about perseverance and faith, the grind will get you if you're not careful. And um, probably the worst enemy of enthusiasm is time. You, uh, human beings have this remarkable way of forgetting very quickly something that's magnificent. You guys like, uh, you ever been really excited to have something new and then you got it and it's like, eh, you bought this, you like, you, you, did all your research on this gun or TV or whatever it was. You finally bought it. You it were you loved it. You shot it once. It went in the safe, and you were like, "Meh." Like how quickly the excitement has subsided. I went on vacation um, in Tampa a month ago. I don't know when it was. Um, and you come into Tampa near Clearwater, and you get on this ginormous bridge. And you look at the beautiful ocean, and it's magnificent. And you're awestruck. And you're just overwhelmed. And by the end of the vacation, you barely know it's there, and you're thinking about how dumb the guy in front of you is that's driving. And you've forgotten about this magnificent thing that sits next to you that you were mesmerized by at the beginning of the week. And now you didn't even notice it. How quickly we forget about amazing things. And I think um, the grind does it to us, you know. Um, it's just part of things. And, and I want you to think about how important this is. Um, I'm going to say this nicely. Vacationers get tired of sunsets. Millionaires, they get tired of money. Kids, they get tired of toys. You know, you got a pile of them not used. And Christians, they get tired of work. It gets tiring. It gets exhausting. And I, and I know that I don't want to, this won't be a negative focus as much as um, very genuine. Um, first time you taught a Sunday school class, Man, it was exciting now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, first time you preached, you felt an overflowing gush of enthusiasm and emotion. And now you started a Bible study. You started reading a particular thing. You, it, it's, it's easy for things to fade so quickly with so many things vying for our attention. It's really easy. It happens so quickly. And so perseverance is not easy. It's work. 
And it has to be incredibly intentional. Perseverance just doesn't happen. Like, oh, I'm going to be a perseverant man. Well, that's nice you said it. But how does it really happen? Like, how, does, how do you get your guts there? How do you get your mind there? Is the question, right? Like, for all of us, like, how do we get past that? Um, I heard somebody refer to this thing I'm talking about as compassion fatigue one time. Or well, well-doers burnout. I heard somebody tell it like that. They used a term. I don't know if it's legit or not, but I did hear that. A couple of years ago, I was traveling, and um, <clears throat> I was visiting. I was on business, and um, there was one of the brethren who lived close to where I was on business, so I decided I was going to stay with him for the weekend and hang out with his family and then fly home. And I got there, and we had the best time. And one of the evenings we were there, um, everybody went to bed, and we were just hanging out and had, talking about whatever and um keep hitting it that's what it is um talking about whatever and um yeah we're talking about spiritual principles and concepts and um and so uh it got very serious and um he said you know I had a really tough time for a while and I could see him welling up with emotion and I knew it meant a lot to him and he said you know there was a day I sat in my office And I thought about just leaving it all behind. I just couldn't, I was so tired, so tired of the results I wasn't getting, so tired of, you know, the effort and work and energy. And he was worn out and he was discouraged. And on one hand, I was surprised and taken back. But on the other hand, I was so thankful that he wasn't trying to put some fake facade on like he was the toughest guy in the world and he never had a struggle and he never had a problem. And he confided in me something that he, man, he was struggling like at one point with. And he told me he had worked through that process, but I admired honesty. Like I admired honesty. And I think that um, that's something you have to think about today, any of us. How much of a facade do we put on or is it very genuine and are we willing to be honest with ourselves and with our brethren? I, when you were honest about breaking down, like it got to me, like I had a knot in my throat because there aren't many men who will humble themselves and tell a series of events in which they were vulnerable and they were sinful, and they were unthoughtful and unintentional. And I don't know where I come from. Like, men like to act like men's men. And um, I, I genuinely appreciated that. Like, I, I, I did. And I think that there's something to it, and I think you guys all could have learned something from that. Um, and I think it's something that you should think of. And I think that um, I understand that the, the work can be exhausting, And the writer writes here, and he warns for that reason. There's a warning in our text. And I I find it interesting. Let me get back to my text. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not give up. If's a tiny word. 
but it has a monster meaning. If you don't give up. He was talking about, Brian was talking about things. It's not guaranteed. We all got work to do. But perseverance is not giving up. Um, I, I, want this, I want to say this too because I want to be really clear. Um, I like to think of it as we get tired in the work, not of the work. And I want to clarify that because I think that's really important. I am not tired of doing the right thing. I'm not tired of doing good. I just get tired in it. And I think that um, there's honesty for that. And I, th- and I want to make sure that um, I communicate this. There's not guilt in this. Like I'm not hanging guilt on anyone for being tired in the work. But the writer writes a warning for a reason. You're going to get it if you don't give up. That means you can give up. That means you cannot make it. And so the warning here is like, hey, guys, like, it can happen. Stay alert. And I just think it's, um, it's important for us to calculate that. So... As we're talking about how to persevere in the workplace and faith, I think it's simple. I guess that's not simple. It's similar to persevering in our just general life. When we're persevering in our general life, when we're making progress in our general life, I mean, it's obviously an overflow into our work. And so um, as things, uh, there's some things that ought to be considered, I think. Um, of course, in the light of COVID and the changes of COVID, things, the workplace is changing, obviously, for all of us um, working from home. You know, so uh, it's not it's much nicer, you know, it's, it's so you get some privileges, but uh, you and I get to work from home. So uh, <laughs> just don't work out for you. Sorry. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, but consider this. Every person in the U.S. who doesn't work overtime spends approximately 90,000 hours of work at home or at, in their life. Regular old work week, 90,000 hours hours now for most of you you've worked overtime and a lot of it so it's more than that and you know as well as i do that anytime you spend one that extended period of time in one place man you come in contact with all kinds of people you have all kinds of experiences with all kinds of characters and and so like uh I think the effect that you have on people cannot be understated. When you tell me series of events happen where you have very little contact with someone and a year later they're asking you questions, it testifies to me that our effect on men and women who were around for extended periods of time cannot be understated. Cannot be. And so though we don't know we're having an effect. And though we don't know we've had a direct conversation, we do know that our presence is present. Our perseverance is undeniable. Our attitude and conduct is undeniable. Our character is undeniable. And they know. And so I want to make sure that you don't underestimate 
the effect that you have. Um, whether you reach people for the Lord while you're at work or whether they hate your guts when you're finished, you'll have an effect. Some dramatic, more dramatic than others. And there will be an effect. So the importance of remaining focused on our perseverance and faith is super critical. Um, our ability to remain focused on what's on the other side of the clouds is really critical. Um, faith, righteousness, and integrity. When the writer writes about uh, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit and reaping accordingly, and there, are, I think there are any number of things that can get um, get our minds off base and off the spiritual things that the writer is writing about. It's different for everyone, right? And um, and I'm going to tell you this: what I'm about to talk about seems very elementary, but I'm going to tell you this: it's very real. And it's going to be things that um, I think we've all dealt with, and we've all battled in regards to discouragement. And so um, I, I want you to know that I'm not focusing on the discouragement and the struggle as much as I am the attitude in which we persevere with when I mention these things. I think in life, um, whether we're at work or just life, um, being intentional is going to be critical for you. <clears throat> there are all kinds of potential sources of discouragement that are going to kill perseverance and momentum. You guys know as well as I do, momentum's a big deal. You get things rolling. Think about the body. Like I look here like, right, man, like there are young men. There are guys who've been in the congregation a short time. There are guys who are, it's obvious that I've been, it's been two years since I've been here. And the spiritual growth is incredibly obvious to me. And the momentum, I can see it in the congregation. It's moving and rolling and it's rolling. But if we're not careful, momentum can be squashed in a hurry if we're not intentional about what we're trying to do. Um, and I think if we're, I think we're, um, I'll say this the right way, we'll be a much more formidable opponent if we're well aware of what the devil's trying to accomplish. Give you an instance. Take for instance this. Those who have worked and invested in people physically and spiritually for years and have seen no result. Has a lack of result ever changed your perseverance? I I can't speak for evangelists, but I think about a guy like Bill, or I think about a guy um, you know, who leads a congregation and has a lack of a lack of results, how difficult that is. Take, I'm going to give you this example. So we're, in a, we're a results-oriented society. I heard Brian Bragg say, if I didn't get a buck, I was cranky for a year till the next season. Yep. Amen. We're results-oriented. I mean, we go fishing. We determine whether our day fishing was successful or not by what's on the stringer. Results. Good, good day. Nothing on it, bad day. That's how we determine things. That's how we're results-oriented people. We, we diet for two days, we're expecting results. Like, bro, when I get on the scale, I better have lost five pounds. Like, like that's how it works. I mean, I, I ate good for two days. 
You know, like that's how we are. We're results-oriented people. But what happens when there's no result? I'll tell you this, service to the Lord is not measured in results. And, I, and let, me, let me clarify. It's easy to get convinced that you're not making a difference when you can't see the changes. Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. I'm going to read 3 through 8. And it's really interesting when you, when you study the prophets, the major prophets particularly, and you see all the effort, all the time, all the energy, all the perseverance, all the, the difficulty they had with very little results often. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Then he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the son of Israel, sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me, and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, and neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving to you. Do you think Ezekiel was an unsuccessful man if he didn't get results? God told him, they might, they might not. I mean, what's a guy to do when they might, they might not? I mean, it's hard to get spiritually motivated when they don't. But it's really great to me I think it's an awesome thing that God doesn't measure faithfulness in the result of what you're accomplishing. He measures it in heart. Acts chapter 26, real quick. Acts chapter 26, turn there. So you guys know this series of events with Paul. Acts 26, 22 through 29 is what I'm going to read. Now Paul has been held up He's been in front of the Areopagites. He's been in front of Festus. Festus gets him pushed over to King Agrippa. He's appealed to Rome, to Caesar, and he's standing in front of King Agrippa, and they have this big shindig, and King Agrippa says, it came in in much pomp is the term that it used. He comes in in much pomp, and everybody's at the party. And Agrippa says, you can talk. And here's where it comes up. Verse 22. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to small and great, stating nothing 
but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And while, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus, important guy, says with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows, he was referring to Agrippa, the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I'm persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian. 29 says, and Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Man, a man like Paul speaks and he almost persuades Agrippa. But it doesn't happen. Would you say Paul was unsuccessful? Yeah. I, I, all I'm trying to accomplish in this point for you is that we cannot measure the difference that we're making on the results. We are not being judged by results. We're being judged by heart, by whether we're faithful, whether we're doing what we've called, been called to do the same way Paul was. Whether men change or not, we won't know. Whether they change or not in your own personal life, grind. Men of perseverance will not be detoured. Will not be detoured, be detoured by whether men listen and there's results or not. You have to fix your mind today whether the result is what you desire it to be or what you think it will be, that you will persevere. I am... Um, my second warning, I guess, to you is this. There's potential for discouragement in focusing on other people's attitudes. Some of us, man, we work in a really cool place. Some of us, we don't. It can get really cynical. Cynicism's a danger. Um, when you're next to people who don't really care about the issues. They don't really care to have a relationship with you. They don't even really care to listen to your voice. They want to get their check and they want to go home. You can become very cynical in lumping those people together with other people. There's a danger in that. There's a danger in being in the workplace and thinking just everybody's a jerk. And I know that, um, I know that comes with a poor attitude or a poor warning, but there is a legitimate danger of us lumping people together and not seeing individuals as a specific individual. And so I say that because I think um, there's a temptation like to grow weary in our attitude. Go to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. Good book, good book. Jeremiah chapter 5, 30 and 31. I find this fascinating with the prophets. Um, 
And I think if you studied the major prophets, you would find these men to be incredibly strong men, though oftentimes they, they struggled. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, reads like this. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But will, what will you do at the end of it? It's real easy to get discouraged by people who don't want to do the right thing. And I'm not speaking just at work. I'm speaking at the assembly. I'm no stranger to the assembly. I'm no stranger to a group of people who are core groups in assembly who want to do the work and who always are the ones who scrub the toilet and are always are the ones who are there first to turn the heat on, are always are the ones. I'm no stranger to that, to the core group. But there's a danger in us um, being discouraged by other people's attitudes. And as persevering men, we can't do it. You know, does that guy have the spirit of sacrifice? Nah, not, not really. Is he interested in missions? Only casually. Does he willingness, have a willingness to serve? Only when it's convenient. You know, um, does he have a burden for the lost? Not really. It's easy to have those, those people with those attitudes and to let it get to you. Um, so don't let your perseverance be crushed by other people's attitudes and spiritual principles. And it's, I'll say this too. It's really frustrating sometimes when the people that we're having conversation with don't know the value of what we're trying to give them. So be patient. Guys, when people come to the assembly and they're not, you know, they're not faithful per se and they're not getting things done and they're not enthusiastic about certain things that are really good, be patient. Sometimes they just don't understand the value of what you know yet. I just want to encourage you. Men of perseverance who persevere in faith don't get detoured by the minds and the attitudes of other people. You you got to do it here. Um, another way I think um, people get discouraged as far as perseverance is concerned is people who are experiencing temporary failure. You guys remember um, Elijah under the juniper tree? He, he runs, he, he bolts, he's under the juniper tree, and he's like, Lord, just kill me. Like, I, I'm not as good as my father's. Now, had you considered the fact that he just had one of the greatest victories over Baal worshipers of all time in the history of the gospel? And all of a sudden, a little lady writes him a letter and says, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And he tucks tail and books it out of town and he's ready to give it all up immediately. He has a temporary person who withstands him and gets up against him and says, I'm not eating what you're serving. And all of a sudden, like, he's on the run. And um, I found it fascinating. Though he, he had just accomplished what he had accomplished, but he was 
he was so easily moved by a temporary problem. And I think um, I say that because it's possible. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we're going to be in verse 17 and 18. 7 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. You guys know this one. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Momentary light. What you got here is light affliction. But man, it's a producing an eternal weight, heavy weight of glory beyond the clouds. For while we look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, our eyeballs are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Men of persevering faith will not let naysayers or temporary failures hold us back. Things are temporary here. TJ, that house, your wife, spectacular. Win or lose, I'm all in. I'm going to keep grinding. Man, what an amazing example she was. What an awesome attitude. I was um, moved by that. I want to talk about this. When we're talking about sources of discouragement to perseverance and faith, what about when someone who you've invested in decides to grow weary and quit? Do any of you know somebody? Does somebody pop into your brain? Somebody you poured time, energy, effort, money, love, friendship. You were totally invested and they decided they, grew, they were too tired. That's why the writer wrote it. If you don't quit. But some do. Man, there is a temptation to allow your perseverance to falter when others decide to quit. Um, this has personally affected me. It hurts. Um, there's a, there's another, another level to the hurt when there's a level of personal criticism that's attached to it at the end. When that person decides that, um, rather than dealing with the responsibility that's theirs, they want to find fault in the reason they left and blame you or someone else. And it gets real personal. And it gets really hurtful. And um, it can be discouraging. And I, um, I, I say this to you. Uh, I heard a saying, an old man that I worked with for a really long time. He has, he's one of those old guys, you know, you'd see that say simple things, but they mean a lot. And uh, he told me one time I was discouraged about something and somebody was all in my case about something. And he said, you know what? Wherever there's light, there's bugs. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And, and at, at the moment, I didn't realize that I was like, that old dude, he's always got some kind of saying. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, 
man, when my light is shining, there's always bugs flying around trying to bother me, distract me, bring me down. Wherever there's light, there's bugs. You know, there's a temptation to say, like, man, I'm never doing it again. I'm never investing that much. I could have got so much more accomplished by doing this or this or this or this. And to, to change the method of perseverance that we've got when something like that happens. And so um, there's a temptation to lose heart. You guys remember um, 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel the prophet, right? Um, the Israelites rejected his clear instruction and they still asked for a king. They clamored for a king. And he got discouraged. Do you remember what God told him? They, they aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Persevere. Do what I asked. Do what I asked. It's hard not to get the two tied up together, isn't it? When you got so much invested, you take it real personal. Just happens that way. Um, so I'll say this, uh, men of persevering faith won't let the status of other people stop them. One of my last examples of something that challenges our perseverance is loneliness. Now I'll, I'll say this openly and maybe you can't understand, maybe you can, but doing the right thing it's lonely on the second mile. It's lonely on the highway when you're going the extra mile. When people just don't want to be there. And doing the right thing can seem really lonely sometimes. You guys, um, I genuinely appreciate the, and I think that you should too, if you don't, the value of, of the body. Like, um, turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. I'm, I'm going to read 15 verses. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read 15 verses. Bear with me. I think it's worth it. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read 1 through 15. First Kings chapter 19, 1 through 15. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. This is what I was referring to earlier. It says, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not take your life as the life of the one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he, became, and he came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came, and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and said to him, Arise, eat. 
And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went into the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing wind. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle, and he went out, and he stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Here you go. Go, return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram. Um, you talk about alone. And I find it interesting that God didn't go, oh, buddy, I'm going to get you a friend. Oh, it's okay. He's like, what are you doing here? Got them all alone. Like, they want to kill me. They've done this. They've killed your prophets. They want to kill me. They want to end my life. I'm all alone. He's like, you ever did that to your kids? Go. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your excuse. I'm not interested in you explaining. I don't care. Right? He's like, go. I, I, I just think that, guys, at some point, in our gut, in our head, in our heart, internally, we are going to have to fix our minds that whether we be with people or whether be alone, that we are going to finish this life with a perseverance of faith. And until you determine that, you'll float. What other people do will float you. How they talk will float you. How they react will float you. Where they go will float you. The attitude they have will change you. But until you get it in your gut and you determine in your heart and in your mind and determine in the things that you accomplish that this is my course, you keep floating. Persevering men, men of persevering faith, got it in their gut, whether they're alone or they're not. They're going to glory. They're concerned about what's on the other side of the clouds. Not here.
That's the only way we persevere, whether at home or at the workplace. There's, there's tons more to be said in regards to the workplace itself, the ever-changing, manipulating fashion of the workplace and how we act and what we say and what we do. But I tell you that because those people who are unflinching, who are relentless, who proclaim the truth, are becoming an endangered species. Men are weak. They're sissies. And I don't mean like they can't lift weights and hike up the trail and are in bad shape. They're not men of perseverance and integrity and righteousness. They're far and few between. There's more here than there is in most places ever. And I tell you that because when you're an endangered species and you're all alone and you're grinding, you got to have it in your gut to make it work. All of us do. When you're dealing with people um, where the truth's under attack and they'd rather be told what they want to hear than what they need to hear. Um, it's just difficult. And um, it can be lonely at times. And I don't tell you to discourage you. I tell, I tell you to encourage you. Fix your minds. We have examples from all those who have come before us. I just read about those prophets. I read about Paul. All those men who came before us and whom we stand on their shoulders of spiritual faith. And we have men who are here in which we stand on their shoulders. And those men will disappear. Bill will be gone. My dad will be gone. Older men will be gone. It'll be us. We'll be the older men. And our sons will stand on our shoulders. Yep. It won't get easier. So... You being a man of integrity, righteousness, perseverance today forges for your sons and your daughters in the future. That's important. I want amazing things for my children. And when I say amazing things, I don't mean cars and houses and salaries. I mean glory. Glory. You know, I think about what Brian said about generationally, it's stopping for you and then you restarting it. I think about for my own son. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a third, fourth generation Christian. I have no qualms about professing that. I'm excited about it. I want my son to be next in line. I don't want him running off fighting the battles of men and presidents and countries and patriotism, although I love my country, this is not the battle I'm choosing to fight. I'm not interested in men's wars. I'm interested in what's important, what eternity brings. And I hope that, I hope that you have it in your gut to leave here. Fix your mind to not be detoured in any fashion. And I think that, um, I want to tell you, it's funny that I read this article. Um, he, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Well, this was read several times. Bill, Brian, maybe I think read it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read just verse 1. I'm only reading it because it mentions the, the fact that we're in a race. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I um, read an article about um, an NCAA cross-country tournament in 1993. It was interesting. There were 128 runners, and 123 of them missed a turn that was not tagged well. And there was a guy, his name particularly was Mike DeCavo. This, this race was 10,000 meters. And he stayed on the course. He was in the back of the group. He stayed on the course and he's waving this way. And all the other runners are running the other direction and they're laughing. And he's waving and only three runners followed him. So everyone was disqualified in this NCAA tournament except for the four men that went the correct way. And I read this article and it was funny because at the end of the race, they interviewed him and they asked him a question. They said, what were your thoughts mid-race about the decision of the other people not to follow you? And he said, I didn't understand why they thought it was funny. I went the right way. <laughs> and he goes, well, maybe... If I went the wrong way, I would have finished, respectively. And I thought that was just an interesting comment because here we are, running the race. Come on. And everybody's like, <laughs> dummies, giving your money to that place. <laughs> giving your time, dummies. <laughs> not, not cheating on your taxes. <laughs> not putting extra cash in your pocket, doing the wrong thing. <laughs> it's all funny. And you're over here running the race, going the right way. Like, come on, come on. And everybody just thinks it's funny. And, you know, it's interesting that they, um, that's a, there's a correlation there for us. Guys, when we're running, there's going to be very few guys running with us. It's just part of perseverance. I, I encourage you guys tonight. To fix your minds. If you want to be men who persevere in faith, integrity, and righteousness, get it in your gut. Get it in your mind that you're going to go no matter what. And don't be detoured by temporary things. Um, men of persevering faith understand that God has always worked with the few in number always if you read your bible you'll know that god never ever works in numbers the the numbers are never in our favor they never will be they never have been why would you expect it now keep moving keep going keep persevering in faith don't get discouraged keep your eyes on the the things on the other side of the cloud this is just a temporary life. We blink and it's gone. My dad is 70 some years old. That blows my mind. Like, just, I can't even fathom it. We talk about it and we talk about like the fact that I've seen very few people finish well. And I want that for him. 
men of persevering faith. Thanks. There are really some tremendous servants in the body of Christ at Pleasant Hill. And uh, there are some servants that do a lot of things behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, I think of Logan. You know, Logan is an amazing young man. And, you know, he's never been to Belarus, but he's financed a lot of the work over in Belarus by sacrificing himself to come and work. And whenever I've asked for, for help doing, you know, doing wood or, or, or whatnot, cans and bottles, you know, he's always there. It's consistently there. And many times he's there by himself or with one other person. And man, I'm telling you what, that guy really gives himself to that. Now there's another guy in our congregation that, you know, he is an amazing servant. You know, he's doing so many things behind the scenes. And in fact, uh, of recent, uh, he's kind of stepped up and helped me with my memory a little bit by asking if, uh, hey, have you gotten uh, somebody to cover prayer and Lord's Supper meditation for Sunday night, Wednesday night? And it's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, so he says, you know what, I'll, I'll step in, you tell me what you need and we'll get her done. So... You know, I appreciate that. And, you know, he's working behind the scenes with the sound stuff. And he's working behind the scenes in regards to helping out in, in the building projects. And he's always there when we have a work day consistently. And, you know, his kids are there. You know, obviously a great example to his, his kids. I mean, just an amazing man. His wife is invested as well. I mean, this family is engaged uh, uh, a lot. And then and this guy can teach. And I'll tell you what, you know, when, when Scott first started teaching, you know, he struggled a little bit. But now I'll tell you what, when he stands up, you need to listen. He commands your attention by the things that he shares. <clears throat> and he's willing to, to take the shots, too. And, and uh, sometimes publicly, there have been things said about him, you know, publicly. And it's like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not the one that's saying things publicly unless like what I just did. I mean, just, I just appreciate the guy like you can't believe. And there was a time when, when uh, uh, <laughs> Scott and I were on the other ends of the perspective in, spectrum in regards to, to working together. It was like, okay, I'll work with anybody except for Bill. And I'll work with anybody except for Scott. And we'll just be cordial and sometimes not. And, and I'll tell you what, though, I'll tell you what, I, I know that this guy's got my six now, 110%. You know, Jeremy just talked about guys that will walk away and trash you and say you're the reason they walked away. It's just they didn't want to, you know, persevere. You know, and they'll do a good job of trashing you as they go. And they'll stick with it too sometimes if they don't get the result they want. That's just a mess. And this guy stuck it out, stayed the course, really started to listen and see, you know, who was really caring about him. Who was really there for him. And man, now he's there for me. And he's, and he's constantly encouraging and constantly serving, constantly doing. And I know there's stuff he's, he's been doing I don't even know about. So his message tonight, I've asked him to step up and bring a message. And it's really so important that we understand just how critically important it is to be steadfast.
immovable. Knowing who we are, whose we are, and what he has and continues to do in us and through us. And I'll tell you what, a great work has been going on in Scott and his family, and I know that that work is going to continue to blossom. You know, I, I laid hands on three men that were great servants in the church, and this man is a great servant as well. Amen. And uh, I would expect that uh, if I pass before too long, that there's other guys that are online for leadership. We're going to pull him on board. He's a good man, and I appreciate him a ton. And I mean that with all my heart. So let's bring it on for a great man of God who's grown greater. Scott, there you go. Love you, man. Appreciate you, Tom. So TJ, Drake, I've been doing this longer than you guys have. I still get nervous up here, so <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> So, <laughs> I don't know if that does make you feel better, but <laughs> it, it does get easier to get your lessons in order, though, it seems like, because like Bill was saying, the first lesson I ever did, it's like, was turned into like a five-minute lesson, so. But tonight, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Need to read verses 2 and 3, but we're going to focus on what's in verse 3. The latter part of that. And I want you guys to listen carefully to this passage. I can't remember if Bill read it last night or not, but listen to the, the three pillars are there that Bill talked about last night. And if you're paying attention to those, we're, we won't go there because it's been mentioned, but those pillars are what is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So you can go back and look at that yourself. I'll skip that part of my lesson tonight, just for time's sake. Uh, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father. So we'll stop there. But verse 2, th this one kind of pricked me when I read it, because, and this is kind of what we're going to end on later, but we'll focus on that in a little bit. But we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. So that one kind of pricked me, because I'm not very good about remembering to mention everybody, and I need to be better about that because we're in a war effort, and each of you are so special to me, and each of you need prayer. And that's what Paul's saying that he's doing for, for the Thessalonians and for Timothy here, that, that he gives thanks to God always for them, and he makes mention of them in his prayers. So I am of the inclination to think that he knew specific things to pray for each of them as well. And we'll touch on that a little more later. So I wrote some questions down and these questions, like many of us, this lesson is for me. So, but I hope you guys benefit from it. How often do we give thanks to God for each other? That, like I said, that one really hit me. I need to be better about it. <clears throat> I need to be much better about it. And we'll do something at the end where I'm hoping we can 
encourage each other to be better about it. But we'll get there. Um, how often do we mention each other in our prayers? So it says to pray without ceasing. I know brethren all over this nation and all uh, on others that Bill has mentioned in other countries and Steve Doty has mentioned, Jay Wilson has mentioned. How often do we stop and think about each of them and pray for them? I need to do a better job. But what we're going to focus on is in verse 3 here. It says to constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So that last part there is what we're going to focus on. Steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So, like I said, go look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and you'll see where the, these come from at the end of the love chapter. But let's look at that steadfastness of hope. So, I'm one that likes to get in the Strong's, look at the Greek, figure out what it's really saying in the scriptures there. Uh, steadfastness, or Blake, you can confirm this, in the King James it says patience, doesn't it? Okay, so steadfastness or patience as found in the King James is the Greek word 5281. To be cheerful or hopeful, in, to have a cheerful or hopeful endurance. Constancy, enduring patience, continuous, continuance or waiting. There's some patience there. We have to wait for it. It doesn't just come. So, question for you. Some more questions. I like to write questions down because they help me think and formulate the lessons. Do we pray for others that they would remain steadfast or constant in their hope? In what we've been given? In that eternal prize? And should we be praying that way for others? Uh, it's pretty clear that we need to be praying that way for others. So what is, what is our faith and our hope? We all, we all know this, but let's go look at he, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And I'm turning the pages the wrong way, as I usually do when I get up here. <laughs> so Hebrews 11.1. 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jeremy read the passage that I was had rattling around in my mind that the things here are, are temporary. They're not eternal. They're seen. They're visible. But that's not what's going to last forever. It's the unseen things that are going to last forever, that, that it will last enduringly, the things that Christ has given us. Now, in Hebrews 11, can read about Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Noah, and many others, the men of faith. But I want to jump over to verses 13 through 16 tonight. And you guys can go back and read Hebrews 11, and then you can read right into Hebrews 12 that everybody else has been reading, and see that those are the great clouds of witnesses that are cheering us on. But Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed 
that what they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Brian, residents, aliens, right? Yep. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, and indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What are we to be eternally searching for? What are we to be striving for while we're here? It's to get to heaven. It's to be in, in that heavenly city, that city made without hands. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2.6, Bill referred to it last night, we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. You can go look at that. And Philippians 3, 7 through 16, I believe Brian and Bill have both touched on this one as well, but I want to read this one as well, because this is really, Paul's mindset is the mindset we need to be having while we're on this earth. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 16. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, everything he had beforehand, all the riches, you can see how rich Paul was. He counts it as rubbish or dung. It's worthless to him. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, through faith of Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which, was, which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the, up, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything... And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And that standard, of course, is Christ. Amen. Now, what's it saying here? And this goes back to what you were talking about, TJ. We're working on it. Paul's saying, I haven't got there yet. I'm still working on it. But I've got to be working on it each and every day, pushing on towards the upward call I always get it wrong when I try to. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be keep, keep pushing forth, setting our minds on those things that are in heaven, not on things of this earth. That is where our hope lies. Our hope does not lie on things of this earth. It's as we're seeing the things on this earth will crumble and fall and fail us around us each and every day. And then... Last verse I want to go to, because this is a devotion, 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. And this is why I had Bill sing that one, that song 
we we sang just before I came up. Second Timothy 1, 12 through 14. And this is a passage I know is there, but I think I forget about it a lot. And it's such an important passage for us to, to grab onto. It says, for this reason I also suffer these... Second uh, Timothy 1. That's yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> Thought I had a false start there. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Someone was talking about not being ashamed. Do the work you've been called to. Jeremy was just talking about persevering, no matter what, no matter what the little bugs are saying to you, don't be ashamed. Get out there, do the work. What are you doing here? Get out there, do the work you've been called to. For I know whom, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What day? That day when he returns to bring us home. Or the, the last day that we are on this earth. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith, of, faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The precious Holy Spirit that it's been given to us. That gift that we get to take and share with others. That's what we need to hold on to. But let's look at verse 12 again. It says, I've got, it says, um, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. Do we know whom we have believed in? Who ha whom have we believed in? Christ Jesus. He's given us new life. He's pulled us from darkness and transferred us into the domain of his light, into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. Do we believe that? Do we hold on to that? Are we convinced that he will guard what we have entrusted to him until that day he calls us home? That's where our hope is. Our hope is not this world. Our hope is the heavenly realms. So, see, our hope is in the resurrection to come that on that last day when we finally attain to that completion. We've been completed. We haven't attained it yet. We're still working on it. Yeah, we'll probably stumble and fall, but we need to get up. We need to keep moving on. We need to keep moving forward. See, we have a great hope in that resurrection, that resurrection to come. But like we talked about earlier, we need to pray that each and every one of us remains steadfast in that hope until that final day. So I want us to consider how we can pray for each other to remain steadfast until the end so what I would like to do to help each of us out and to help me out is I want each of us and the young guys can chime in if they want to, but I'll, I'll exclude them if they want to be left out. But for us adults, how can we pray for each other? What area of your life, I'm trying to formulate how I want to say this, what area of your life do you need prayer for to stay steadfast in the hope until the end? And for me, I think one of, I've already talked about it tonight. I need to be more diligent in my prayers for each of you. So that's how you guys can pray for me is that I can be diligent in my prayer time for each other, for 
each of you so that I can know, so I can offer up those prayers to, to God. So I hope that makes sense of what I'm saying. So who wants to go first? I'm, or I can start calling names. <laughs> Jeremy. say lost sight, I don't mean obviously um, I was completely detoured or quit, but um, mm-hmm. I think oftentimes I might have um, been a bad example to my children in regards to what is really important um, in certain aspects. Not at all. I mean, we were still at the assembly and we were still uh, participating in the, in the kingdom work and we were focused on kingdom and we were Bible studying, but um, a lot of my time, effort, and energy went into financial pursuit, and so I pray that um I will regain my focus in regards to that example that I see. Mm-hmm. I'm the next guy, I'm the oldest. Okay, <laughs> just a moment. I'm, st- I'm still writing Jeremy. <laughs> you said regain your focus on? On my pursuit of spiritual things Thank and you. my example to yeah. my children. You just trailed my... off at the end and yeah, I have no, part of here. I don't want to pursue physical things. No problem. Yep. Hey, Davey. Patience. Uh, I have a problem with the people in the church that I myself have judged to be not strong in the faith, not Mm -hmm. working for the Lord, and I need to be more compassionate, more understanding, and more willing to help them to grow strong. That's a good one. Who's next? You want to go in a circle here? Sure. Perfect. PJ, if you're ready, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Jacob talked about it uh, a little bit last night. And it's funny because I was just talking. I talked to Bill a little bit about it when my wife right into that. But um, um, I got became so- sober and changed my life six years ago. And I, in the process of doing that, I have became extremely ambitious before I had nothing, mm-hmm. no real ambition uh, for a long time, but um, I, uh, I guess my ambitions, I don't want to become right. ambitious, you know what I mean, like I have things that I want to do, but I definitely have allowed some things to, um, I mean the wrestling and the, I've done all these things that mm-hmm. you know, kind of drag my family along with me, you know. And part of that is like I want them to be proud of me and things that I'm doing. And um, I think that I need to like uh, I do some prayers and, and you know, like putting things that are more more important, to, you know, um, in front of it and um, find time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, prioritizing. Yeah. 
Who's next? I would like to Bill. improve my relationship with Shannon. And we're starting to hit a pretty good stride working together. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's a lot of things missing in my being the man that she needs. And also, too, I really need to rethink and re-engage with each of my sons. And I've done a pretty good job with Andrew, but you know, because... Jake are close, I just kind of figure by osmosis they're going to be, <laughs> <laughs> they're around me, well that isn't how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so, just really need to make a uh, really concerted effort to re-engage like we used to consistently, you know, mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Going out, spending time with each of them uh, consistently, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like a plan thing. You make make your last kick. You make that jump. Your, <laughs> your end plan. Just feeling a lot more mortal. Mortal. <laughs> <laughs> the mortality is setting in. What needs to be done is on a bucket list, man. To kill a true four point with two eye guards is a bucket list. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. I appreciate that. <laughs> Logan, you got something? Uh, Since we seem to be going in a circle. I'd say um, keeping my mind on things above and not on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a tough market to try to find places. <laughs> uh, Blake, you have anything? Right. Yep. 
Why do you want me to skip you? <laughs> okay, Ken. We're swinging around this way now. <laughs> I can't say anything more than what I said last night. And I still, you know, my current mindset is thinking about Nehemiah and, and uh, the rebuilding of the walls and the mindset of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be willing and able to build and yet have my sword by my side. Yep. Brokenhearted about my spiritual uh, city. Mm-hmm. Good. And Brad. A couple areas I think uh, work is really difficult right now. Um, kind of all-consuming. So I think um, just working with people and meeting with them with love instead of frustration. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, faith is a lot like willpower, right? In the morning, it's really, really strong by the afternoon, <laughs> so a little, little less capable, <laughs> a little less willpower. Right? So, uh, and then on the home side, I've noticed that in, in the past, I always had this agreement that I would always say yes if it came to time with my kids, and I felt that I've said no a lot lately just because I was mm -hmm. tired. Right. All encompassing one area that protects everything. Yep. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Is he sleeping? He took a Benadryl earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll go back there to Brian. <laughs> uh, just as I spoke of earlier, you know, I'm I'm really big on the warrior mindset right now. You know, um, so many people, uh, not only in the church, but those just around the flesh you're just giving up and most people need to be led you mm -hmm. know? And, and and we talked about that you know when you talk about armies we talked about there's a lot of good men but usually there's the one there's yeah. the one warrior that leads mm -hmm. and everybody follows because yeah. he's got the confidence and the ability to lead yes so i want that you know for for my my family you know to be that so they stay strong i have a gigantic opportunity right now where you know both you know, Jeff Drillinger has really helped me with the mindset of helping those that are right in my car, right? Those that I mm -hmm. have to deal with on the street, you know, really working hard on, you know, encouraging them, you know, um, but also the guys I work with, you know, I, it, there's, we need a leader right now. We need a leader yeah. in all that aspect. And so I'm really trying to be that, that guy, Amen. you know, to, mm -hmm. to be that, that leader that that they see is, is solid is confident and and then they'll ask that's that's my prayer the big thing is i want them all to to make it to heaven mm -hmm. but it's that warrior mindset to go no matter what you know to go and i and i and i tell myself that i don't know how many times uh, each night you know um you know be the warrior mm -hmm. warrior you know to handle the situation be the warriors others are confident and will follow and and make the right choices as well, because there's a lot, a lot of wrong choices going on right now, mm -hmm. you know, all over the place. So, 
Yeah. I just, I just, you know, and that's tough. That's been hard, right? To stay that positive, you know, be that guy that, that people are trying to, to lean on. Um, and I just, you know, I just want to be that guy. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jake, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say mine is kind of twofold. Um, number one, um, I've been finding it hard to sacrifice myself. Um, not just like in big things and mm -hmm. little things, things I don't really want to do for other people. Um, I'm finding myself just kind of, nah, someone else will do it. Um, so really taking the initiative and um, doing the dirty work that no one wants to do. And then also, I would say uh, the second part would be um, using my influences on myself a lot not really hanging out with anybody that's really either of value or just not hanging out with anybody at all. Mm -hmm. And that's not healthy either. So um, choosing my influences, so hanging out with people that are of like mind. Yeah. Um, I need to start doing that more. Okay. Jeremiah, do you have anything you want to share? Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to share? Okay. Let's go ahead and pray. I'm not going to pray through each of these tonight, but we'll pray through the lesson. And I, I did what you talked about earlier missed something you were going to say I had it in my mind I was going to kind of tell what happened with me and my family recently I think most of you know it but how God really took care of us in that situation kind of similar type of situation TJ's was much more difficult than I could ever imagine I'm I'm not equipped to handle what TJ handled so and God knows that but we handled something differently so if you want to know more about how we, what we went through, you can talk to me personally about it. So, and the one thing I will say is that 10 years ago, God started prepping us for what happened this year. Because 10 years ago, when I lost my first job with Ballheiser after being with them 12 years and one day, and the day before my daughter's birthday, I became a very angry person. And while I was at school and stuff, it, everything was ticking me off. So from that to this situation, this situation completely trusted in God, knowing that's where my hope is. My hope isn't in things of this world. God must have a plan for us. And, so, and he definitely came through and things are so much better than what I could have ever imagined. And he had it all in his mind that he wanted to set it up this way. So our hope is not in this world. We need to be focused on things about Bill. I know some of you know this, but uh, there has been a lot of talk about Scott, uh, but it's been amazing the conversations that I've heard in regards to Scott and Miriam and Scott's faithfulness and steadfastness in that really scary time. That Amen. guy is rock faithful knowing that God was going to provide and uh, we were privy a bunch of us were privy there was this 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Brian. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, it was it was absolutely amazing. And God, he just, uh, Scott stayed the course yeah. and praying yep. for the right job, the right place. And uh, I'll wait for that in God's time. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Yeah. And the way he worked those circumstances out was just, because yeah. I, I just about lost it when I found out, oh, you can't get a mortgage if you're with a temp company. Yep. What? <laughs> But it, God worked it out yeah. because, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that. I never really worked through a temp company for this type Sorry, of job. So, <laughs> yeah, but God, God knew, oh, nope, one last tweak here. Tweak, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, God works in amazing ways. We need to trust in him. We need to keep our hope on things above, not on things of this earth. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, truly grateful for how you do take care of us, how you provide for us, Father. And Father, it is so critical for us to pray for each other that we would be steadfast in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, Father. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of a heaven. Brian's read it. He read the definition. We are resident aliens. And of course, that makes me think of us being ambassadors because this is not our, our home. We're just representatives of you while we're here on this earth, while we're here in the United States. As long as we have the freedoms we have, we need to continue to persevere, as Jeremy was saying, to share the gospel message with those around us, to show Christ to those we come in contact with each and every day. And the way we do that is in good times and bad times, we stay focused on you. We continue to trust in you, allowing you to lead us and guide us each and every day. We should not be trying to take the wheel. We should be allowing you to have control and we need to continue to, to go out there to do the work you've called us to, as Jeremy was talking about, even when we might be the only one. Keep doing the work. We need to continue to persevere. We need to continue to hold our hope in the things that are above and not in the things of this earth. And we need to continue to walk forward for you each and every day so that the multitude around us can see the difference in our lives and that the darkness will be attracted to the light and we can expel the darkness in their lives. As, as Brian's read recently, we will do greater things than Christ did when he was on this earth. And that is being able to expel the darkness in people's lives by helping them to come to a saving knowledge of your son. Father, I just pray that we would remember this, remember what you've given to us, remember that this world truly is in our home, but that we would continue to walk for you each and every day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, everybody that becomes a Christian has a story. And uh, Brad's got a really great story, and he'll tell it to you sometime. I don't want to reveal anything that might not, he might not want me to reveal. But I'll tell you one thing. Brad is a truth seeker. He's a brother in Christ now. But he's a brother in Christ because he... He had and has an honest and good heart. Did you know the scripture teaches that if you don't have an honest and good heart, you're not going to make it? That's what it says.
Now you may argue with me, well, if you don't get choked too bad by the weeds that you might make it. No, no, there's only one out of four, if we're going to follow what Jesus is saying. And that one out of four is a person that has an honest, honest with themselves that they're not making the grade, honest and good heart, I want to do what's right. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you, that's who Brad is. And so, uh, Brad and I did some hunting together, and hunting's a great thing in a whole host of ways. And when I go hunting with someone who's not a Christian, I'm always all ears. Man, we're on. We're you know, like these little radars, you know. And uh, just enjoying the time with Brad. He's a good guy. Come to figure out, good guy. We talk hunting, we talk hunting, we talk hunting, and did a little bit. And then I needed some help with uh, uh, the website. Uh, some guy was just jacking us around and charged us an arm and a leg to do a whole lot of nothing. And when he did do it, he wasn't willing to give us the, the domain name. And well, there's some other stuff. Brad knows all this stuff. So we were talking hunting. And then, and of course, we were supposed to be talking about the website. We got talking hunting first, I think. Or maybe after. I don't remember. It was probably first. And then we talk about this website, and he goes, yeah, I could do this, and we could come in from the back end, because I couldn't get any access to this thing, and I'll come in and do this and do that. And so he basically was able to do that. But you know the interesting thing is, so what do you want to do with the website? And I said, well, I want it to be educational. I want to talk about, you know, timeless truths, biblical principles, and stuff like that. And I don't know if I said one or two. And, and then he started sharing with me his story, and he would share something about a principle he learned in a book, and I go, there's a scripture for that. And I would quote the scripture. And then we'd talk a little bit more about some other stuff. And I mean, this guy, as I'm listening to this guy, and he's like, wow, this guy really wants to be a better husband, a better father, a better man. How many books had you read? 185 or something like that? Hundred and I mean, just amazing, because he wanted to be a better husband, a better man. And so he was learning biblical principle because how many of you know, there's guys out there like the guy that wrote Atomic Habits. That guy is not a Christian, right? I mean, some of the examples are like yeah, cringe when you read them. Like, hey, you know what? People get involved in pornography because it's just one of those habits that people like to do. And it's like, yeah, right? So a like, guy's not a Christian, but he's got some biblical principles in there. I mean, that are right on the money. You can match verse for verse so we did a couple three or four and i don't know what ended up happening but we ended up deciding we're going to do a bible study and uh he came out and visit i think he came out and visited a couple times church to see if i wasn't just a whack job you know freak you know jimmy jim baker jim baker drink the kool-aid kind of guy or something i don't know so so it comes out and it was i think it was relatively normal out there you know fairly normal yeah <laughs> And uh, Melinda and the kids were like, no way, man. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Brad told me some of the bad things that had happened before. And so when they came out, it was good, you know. And uh, Melinda's just the uh, rock star of a lady. She's so cool. I just love her. You know, she's feisty as all get out. She gives me a hard time no matter what, you know. I come over and she cooks awesome and then gives me a hard time. You know, the food draws me in and then she... <laughs> so... But I'll tell you what, Brad has continued to grow. And the first time I asked him to speak, I couldn't believe it. It blew me away. I mean, he blew a lot of people away in the, the congregation. Like, wow, 
Wednesday night, it was like, man, we got to get this guy up on pulpit, and he's been, and he's preached before. Well, you preached here last year, right? Yeah, or at men's camp. And so perseverance. I gave him a hard topic. You know, some people say Job was one of the most perseverant men, but that was a relatively short, painful experience. Who probably had the most long-term painful experience day in day out going to the grind being ridiculed told that he's a lunatic and yet he stayed the course and he really saved mankind who was that it wasn't jesus it was noah yeah noah <laughs> and so so if you'll take a look at your thing there it says noah's perseverance and uh, you know we're talking about some things that just made noah extraordinary and guess what? We are not mere mortals, gentlemen. We are not ordinary. We are not mere mortals. The scripture teaches that. No. And we have more than what Noah had. And Noah was a great man. And I'm going to turn it over to Brad now and let him show you what uh, one of those facets of perseverance that we need to get locked into. So let's give it up for this guy. Thanks, man. Just making sure it's all on hold. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to turn it off. Yeah. Tech guy, turn it off the camera or the. Yeah. yeah then it's it's my bad, right? This is how we fix it, and I don't follow my own advice. Well, thanks for the introduction, Bill. So it's funny how God nudges us in ways that we may not expect. When Bill asked me to preach for G4 Summit, he talked about how uh, we basically was going to give me Jeremy's topic. And I was like, yeah, perseverance at work. I could do this. And then he changed it and gives me a very hard study <laughs> because we read the book around Noah and Genesis, but it's only a few chapters and you really got to dig to pull out what the meaning is behind it. And study some other scriptures to really understand what's going on there and, and why it's important. But then yesterday, it hit me this morning, I was laying in my tent going, wow, I'm so glad I didn't give the talk around perseverance at work because I really needed to hear what Jeremy had to say yesterday. Amen. And so now I, I think, wow, I had this really hard topic to study, but I actually got the benefit of this through his sermon, not necessarily what I'm going to teach you guys here today. So um, I'll try to make this impactful like Jeremy's was impactful for me yesterday. Uh, but the study around this was actually impactful for me as well because, wow, Noah was a perseverant and faithful man. Um, and when, when we get into what we're talking, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to find that not only is he, he perseverance, he did it with a really great attitude. Because I was thinking, like, when I first read it, I was like, wow, like, can't get down 120 years building a boat, you know, I think, I think at some point in there, there's going to be, there's going to be a little, uh, why am I doing this in my mind? Maybe possibly, but the scriptures actually don't say that he had that attitude. So, um, we'll get there. But when I was talking with Bill about this topic, he's like, well, uh, chapter five is a bunch of lineage stuff. So it really starts in chapter six, but I was like, ah, I'm going to check out chapter five anyway and see what's going on here. And I think it's important that we start there. Uh, but the book of Noah or the story of Noah is 
really about judgment and grieving. God's judgment over man and their behavior at that particular period in time and grieving that things didn't turn out the way he wanted them to. So if we want to turn to Genesis chapter 5, we're actually going to start out with Adam. This is the lineage stuff. And so we're going to do chapter 1 through 3. This is the book of the generation of Adam. Obviously, Noah was in the generation of Adam. In the day when God created man, he created man in his likeness of God, or in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. And this is important because God made us in his image, and that's how things started. And we all know the story about the apple and how it kind of went downhill from there, right? Like, th- things happened, and now we're, we're in a place where the world starts into this downward spiral, and then we're going to get to chapter 3 here. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. So God created man in his image, but 130 years later, Adam created a son in his own image. And that was after the apple. That was after the world started to go downhill. So this is kind of the start of that downward spiral. And and I think this is really important to understand because later we're going to talk about how bad it got when we get to the book of Noah. Um, So then the day of Adam, after he became father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So, if we look at the, if we just think about 900 years, things were perfect when, when Adam and Eve were created, the apple happened, and things, like 900 years after that, how much regret, how much sorrow how much like i did this to the world might have happened in that 900 years that's a lot it's a lot of regret like he probably adam probably lived a very perseverant life the the thing about this whole part is i really when i was reading this i was like wow i really want to know the story of adam that's really what i want to know like that 900 years is probably pretty important like how much change could have happened if it happened, maybe it didn't happen. And maybe that's the important part of Adam's story is maybe he didn't grow from it. But you'd think there were probably some growth that happened. So all that to say, once we get to the point where Adam creates a son out of his own image, things start to spiral. Time and society degrade so much that God wants to destroy it all. Like, really, the book of Noah is about the apocalypse, right? Like, we save eight people, and, and I mean, we were, Jeremy and I were talking about this yesterday. He gave a talk on Noah, and I didn't think about it, but really, it is. Like, the apocalypse happens, so there's no zombies or anything in this particular story, but, but the whole world is sort of, sort of taken out. The really cool thing is about the story is it's not only about God's judgment and grieving. It's also about Noah and his faith and perseverance, and it's really a story of hope, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of really important things that happen 
in these really short chapters in Genesis. <laughs> so my talk today is going to have three parts. We're going to talk about walking with God in chaos. We're going to talk about overcoming the naysayers. What is my third point? And then we're going to talk about perseverance through faith. So when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see what society was like during the days of Noah. So we're going to start in chapter 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is in flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. You know, I looked in the, like this whole book, and I was thinking, how long did it take Noah to build the boat? I couldn't find it anywhere. And then, all of a sudden, like, chapter 3 stuck out. Like, 120 years is when God's going to flood the earth. So that's where like the 120 years makes sense. Like it's going to take 120 years from the time God decides that this that that he's going to talk to Noah about this and then you know the flood's going to come. So uh I'm guessing it's 120 years of time that's going to go by where then the judgment's going to happen. Let's jump down to chapter 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How bad does it got to be to only, like the evil in your heart is only there continually. There's no like in my mind I think there's no happiness, there's no like it's only about deceit, self, selfishness. How do I get what I want? Um, where's where's God in this picture? And in this, it's pretty, it's pretty dismal, right? God's not there. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieving in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animal, to creeping things, and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow, how do you... How do you make God so mad that he's sorry that he made you? That's rugged. <laughs> but there was a light in this whole story. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in the time. Noah walked with God. And I think that's important. Because, like, if... Just, I'm just thinking out, like, if I go for a walk with my son, I'm there, and he's there. Like, it says Noah walks with God, but wasn't God also walking with Noah? Like, it was like a, he saw something in Noah that he wanted to keep safe. And so what does walking with God mean? Sorry, I gotta get back to my notes here. <laughs> So holy and blameless, a righteous man. There's some other scriptures. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 to 5. 
He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. I think it's important to know that Noah was a preacher. So the whole world is evil all the time in their hearts. And Noah is out preaching the word. So in a minute, we're going to talk about the task that Noah had. But while he's having that task, he's also going out and trying to save people. Sorry, I'm a little lost in my notes here. I kind of deviated a bit. Oh, I wonder. All right. So I think it's also important that we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there. It's tough when you read your notes of the second point and trying to preach to the first point. It's, it's rugged. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, where am I? I'm lost right now. All right, uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 7. So, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation for his household. By which he commanded, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to his faith, or to faith. So the part that I highlighted here was salvation of his household. Like there was eight people that was, like survived the flood, right? And it was Noah, his wife, his three kids, and their three wives. He did all of this. And we haven't even got to what we've done yet. But he did all of this to save his household. Isn't that what we're doing? Like we're doing all of this in our life. Like we're trying to live a godly life. We're trying to be perseverant. We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to bring people into Christ to save our families and ourselves. And I think it, it highlights here that, that Noah was also doing that too. He was a blameless, he was a righteous man, he was a preacher. So he could make it. And God found something in Noah that God walked with Noah while Noah was walking with God. In a world where we weren't really the or Noah wasn't the, the rule, right? He was the exception. If everyone's heart was, was um, evil continuously, but there's this one person. We just think about the population of the earth at this time. Probably pretty small, right? So a very, very small fraction of population was the light versus what was the dark. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, Matthew 24, uh, verse 7, also talks about, kind of sounds like the times of Jesus, too. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So we've got Adam spirals down to where God's grieving 
wants to make a decision to destroy the earth, save Noah. This all happens. We all know this happens, right? Spans however many years. God's grieving again, but instead of destroying the earth, he sends a savior. Right? So it's like a cycle. Things are good, spiral down. Things look good, spiral down. Jesus dies, resurrected, our Savior. Things look good. Where are we at today? Right? It seems like a, like, like a very consistent cycle of human behavior that is going gonna, is gonna to at least eventually lead most people to a bad place unless you're part of the hope and have the faith and, and live the life of Christ. So my point number two is overcoming the naysayers. The interesting point about the building of the ark. Who here is a woodworker? Anybody work with wood? Anybody try to work with wood? Like you're like, hey, I want to build this cabinet. <laughs> Does it like look like one of these lean-to things that are like, hey, I'm proud of that. Let's go to let's go to IKEA. We need to get something a little bit different here. So let's let's just just chat a little bit about Noah's task. So let's turn to Genesis 6, 14 through 22. The reason I bring this up is because God didn't just say, Hey Noah, hey buddy, we're gonna take you over here and I'm gonna protect you. I'm just gonna go ahead and wipe out the earth, but I'm going to save you over here, right? Noah, or God came to Noah and said, hey, I'm going to give you this monumental task to do. This, this thing that's going to take you 120 years. Noah, didn't take, Noah was going to take him 120 years, but God knew it was going to take him 120 years because it said it in chapter 3. 120-year task of perseverance, ridicule. Like not going. I, I really love the story yesterday about the runners that went the wrong way and the ones that went the right way. Like Noah was going down the path of the other runner that was going to actually finish the race and not get disqualified. Like and getting laughed at the whole time, right? I mean, you're in the middle of the desert, hundreds of miles away from any body of water, and someone's like, "What are you doing?" I'm building a boat. Like how crazy do you think people thought Noah was? Mm-hmm. Crazy. So let's look at chapter 14. Um, not in Hebrews. i got to go to the right chapter. Genesis 6, right? Yeah, Genesis 6. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits. The best I can tell, that's a football field, maybe a little bit further. It's a big boat. It's a big boat. And its uh, breadth, its width is 50 cubits, and its height is 30 cubits. I mean, this is a massive ship. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubic from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, 
Even I am bringing the, or sorry, behold, I, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under the heavens, everything that is on the earth shall perish. There's a couple of things here that's missing from a boat. There's no navigational system. There's no rudder. There's one window. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking you have one window in an ark and you have all these animals in there. Not just like deer and dogs, maybe a kitty, right? Like lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. This is what I'm thinking right now. And you're in a boat with one window with your family in the dark because later we're going to talk about when he opens the window. So he just doesn't open the window. It's like a very specific time that he opens that window. And the time that's going to go by that we're going to see in a minute, there's not a lot of faith that goes on there, right? Like you're, you're, you are relying on God to save you in this massive ship that you put together with your own hands and you probably weren't a boat builder. And God's going to lift this ship. It's going to float it around for a while. You don't know how long. You don't know where you're going to land. You don't know if you're going to survive. Because I'm telling you that tiger is probably really on Noah's mind. But you have the faith that you're going to survive because God told you that you were. Plus, who, like, does he know what a gopher, like, where to go get gopher wood? Like what type of tree that is? There's a lot of research that's going to have to go on here in building this boat. I tried to build something with primitive tools. Didn't go well. Like, they didn't have the mill, right? Like, there's no saw that, like, creates these really cool-looking boards that are f- symmetrical and flat. And, like, like we're like, there's a tree. I'm going to chop that thing down and somehow make a boat out of it. Like, that, I remember 120 years. There's probably, like, 50 years of learning and, like, 50 years of building the actual boat. So, like Jeremy was talking about yesterday was doing all of this work and really not knowing what the end result's going to look like, right? He's just working and working and working and working and working. So in 2 Peter 2-5, through we talked about him being a preacher. Not only was he working, he was going down to where the people were, and he was talking about, can you see how this conversation's going to go? Hey, everybody, God came to me. He said it's going to rain. People are like, what is rain? It's going to bring a flood. What's a flood? Right? It, it, it reminds, the picture that I got was like downtown Eugene with the guy with the sign that says the end of the world is coming. Right? Like you drive past that person and you're like, something going on there. Maybe that guy needs a little help. But he just kept, 
he just kept going and building and building and he's building this massive boat in the middle of the desert. I just, I just can't fathom how much ridicule was happening to him in that period of time. Because people were continually evil in their hearts all the time. So they were just hammering him probably. I mean, I, I wasn't there. I mean, none of us were there. But you just think about people today and how they treat others that are different. Coming with the message of God and people are like, yeah, that's not a real thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do my own thing. The really cool thing is in chapter in Genesis chapter 6 when we get towards the bottom it said Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. He went through all of it. The ridicule, the learning, the shaping of who he was. Not just to save himself, but to save his family. The other really cool passage that I found. Got to figure out where it is here. Oh, is he, it's back to Hebrew chapter 11. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. So we're talking about things not yet seen. In reverence, prepared his ark. With a great attitude. He's out there just chopping down those trees, saying, I'm going to save my family. I'm going to heaven. God's going to save me. He wasn't out there going, what am I doing? All these people are probably right. Like, why am I building this boat here? The scripture says that he did it in reverence. He was wanting to do it. He was happy to do it. Because he was walking with God. And God was walking with him. And God saw the light in Noah and said, Hey, I'm going to wipe out the earth, but I want to save you. So, my question is, how does God speak to us? And how do we speak to God today? This is that tactile thing where I could hold up the Bible. Like, hold up the word. But I have an iPad. So, I'm going to have, I'm going to have Scott hold that up. Because I don't want to be like this, and you're going to be like, what? That's an iPad. What are you talking about? God's not going to save us through the iPad, right? No, it's the Word. It's going to save us through the Word. We read the Word. We let that shape our character. And then we pray. We talk to God. God talks to us. And we help bring people into Christ. So, when we look at Noah building a boat in the middle of the desert to save his family, and I would imagine he wanted to like let other people know and save them too. They were just like, yeah, dude, whatever. But what do we do today as Christians that just seem ridiculous to the world? That was a question. You can find it. Yeah. Yeah, preaching yeah. the word. You know, yeah. 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 Ye
<laughs> Believing that Mel's arc and the flood actually happened, that's just like the lunatic. Yeah. Or the Red Sea crossing, that's the lunatic story. Yeah. Someone living 900 years or 600 years, right? Those are, those are things. Now, like a lot of the stuff we do, this doesn't make sense to people. But what I've found is when I read the word and I pray, and I've had a lot of challenges over the last year with work and COVID and um, once going in the office, being like, you know, around people. And then I built an office in my walk-in closet. Like you'd think that was a really great idea, but like it's lonely in there, right? Like the family's outside. You're in this closet that's like maybe this much, this much from your shoulders. You have the screens and you have your, your, your headset on. You're talking with people so you don't really notice it. But over like a year, it just feels like it's that little room is just closing in on you. And then some depression kind of comes in because you're not like connecting with people. You move away from the congregation so you're not there every week, right? <laughs> so... Right, you're, you're like this, the mental toughness just starts to, the grit just starts to shave away that willpower, that faith, that, um, that was a year, that was 365-ish days, 120 years building a boat. Yeah. You just imagine like, how many, like, did he ever second guess himself? Did he ever think, like, what is all this for? I would imagine their thoughts happen. I just think through the day of, like, how many thoughts run through my head. <laughs> the rest of the world's continually evil all the time. You would think that some second, second thoughts about why am I doing this occurred. Oh, that was a really good one. I should have used that. See notes. They're they're helpful. <laughs> I did again twice, twice. Um, it's interesting to me that hike the over the last three years. I think I've been going to Pleasant Hill for the last three years. Like people haven't really treated me much different. Other than they've noticed, like at work, maybe just how I show up, my attitude. Sometimes in the afternoon it gets a little hairy. <laughs> but, like, I try to catch it and, and repent and, like, forgive that behavior and then move to something new. And, and it's, it's not like a moment in time derails my day or the rest of my day or my week. Now it's like a moment in time I can let it go, choose different behavior, pray about it, and, and be a better person in a very short window. <laughs> Whereas before, it was just like frustration, like getting into the water cooler talk at work and like going down that spiral. And it's, there's a lot of behavior changes that happen when we incorporate Christ in our life. And um, I would imagine that growth opportunity for Noah over that 120 years. I bet by the end of that, he was he's a pretty solid family man. He's probably really tired, 
but still faithful. Like that grind of faith over 120 years had shaped him positively. I think Jeremy said it yesterday with um, the perseverance and and how that how we show up in those moments. We don't necessarily know the results, but how many people heard that and at least started thinking. Maybe they, they didn't get on the ark, right? But you have to think somebody thought about it, seeing him build a boat in the middle of the desert with a great attitude. Like, those naysayers were there, but what about those that were like, huh, I wonder if he's telling the truth. <laughs> Which probably should have made a better decision later down the road and got on that ark, though. So that was the boat. And we're going to talk a little bit about the journey. So let's go to Genesis chapter 7. And this is the part where, like, I think there was a moment of, like, just fear. <laughs> the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and all your household. For you alone I have, been, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every animal by seven, a male and his female, and the, the animals that are not clean two, by two, a male and a female. Also of the birds in the sky by seven, male and female. To keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land Every living thing that I have made. And then Noah did according to the Lord commanded. God tells Noah to get in the boat. Shuts the door. And then you get to sit there for seven days. No rain. No. You're like, what is going on here? Right? I got all these animals in here that are probably pretty irritated. Pretty ticked off that I'm sitting in this boat. I'm looking like a morsel over here in my little room with my window. There, there, I was, I'm thinking there's, there's probably some doubt going on right now. Like I spent the last 120 years building this boat. Now I'm in it and nothing's happening and I'm in here for seven days. So after seven days, the water came upon the earth. They were in that boat floating around, and then as the water subsided, came to a rest, and that came there for, like, all in total from that seven days it locked the door until the end, if you, if you read through the scripture, it was about a year on the boat, about a year. So we recently started watching this show on, on Netflix called Alone. I don't know if any of you have seen this, this show, Alone, like... They're in the woods for a hundred days, and these folks are losing their minds in a hundred days, alone in the woods, just in the Arctic. Yeah, it's a pretty rugged place. I'm thinking the boat for 365 days with all these animals kind of hanging out. I mean, I would imagine there you're supposed to feed the animals, right? <laughs> so, so there's there's some chores and things to do to kind of keep you busy, but. Like, the biggest fear that I see in this show is, like, bears. Right? Like, the, the, the thoughts about eating, being eaten by a bear or, 
or a cougar or a wolf and it just really gets in people's minds and then they you can see them start to degrade over time until they get so scared that they're like yeah i'm out of here and i call and the boat's gonna come save me well no one didn't have the phone <laughs> to say uh hey <laughs> i'm done right so he had to kind of tough it out with his family i would imagine there was a lot of supporting of each other a lot of script like just preaching teaching that happened in that boat over 365 days because he didn't have to steer the boat god was steering the boat you didn't have to worry about where you're going to land because god had that taken care of like you had to get the animals on the boat you had to get your family on the boat you're going to float around for a while you get some food and then i'll let you know when it's safe and you did that This is like the, the part that's, that's interesting to me is it, it wasn't until the end when he opened the window and set the birds out. So first he did a raven. The raven just flew off. It's like there's certain homing pigeon, like pigeons and things that will come back. <laughs> Pick the wrong bird. Um, then he goes to the dove, lets the dove go. It kind of flies around and then comes back. No sight of land. Waits a little while. Sends the dove out again. And that dove comes back with a leaf. And he's like, ah, oh, hope, right? That's like, we're getting close. I'm at least seeing like leaves of trees. And then it was still a pretty substantial period of time before the boat rests on the mountain. And then God lets him out of the ark. I think it's important to know like what happened after the ark. I would imagine there was a lot of excitement to get out of the boat. Like, have you ever, this is in my mind because we talked last night about my daughter starting to drive. And there's, there's a movie that my kids like to watch, The Pacifier, like where he's this, like they're driving around this minivan and the daughter's driving and they're all scared and they get out and they're like kissing the ground, like land. I, I visualize that, like they're out, they're like land, but that's not what they do. They built an altar for the Lord. They thanked the Lord for saving them from being exterminated. So Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to him, I will never again curse the earth, curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. That's a pretty, that's a pretty rugged journey, right? 120 years, you had to go through the ridicule and just society telling you that you are wrong. And this isn't what you like, this is not right. But you persevere, you build this boat, you you get all the way to the end. I would imagine as the rain's coming, there are probably some people banging on that boat wanting to get in, right? And so you're probably heart wrenched that you weren't able to save them, but God wasn't gonna let them in. 
And when it was all done, you realize that all of that work, all that faith, all that perseverance is because you trusted in God. And so what did you do? You got off the boat and you thanked him. Brian said something in a uh, sermon a couple weeks ago that I thought was profound. In, Gen- in, in the Old Testament, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, they're, like, they only had their faith. They only had that peace to save them. And they had to like, be obedient to God. And, and I mean, we need to be obedient to God, but that's all they had. But as Christians today, we've got the Holy Spirit. Jesus came, sacrificed himself. He gave us an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit and be saved if we choose to, to be Christ-like. All they had was their faith. And Noah was the only one that survived. Today, we have a choice. And we have Christ. And we choose him, we survive. Christ is our ark. Like, that's the bridge. Right? Christ is our ark. And then there was a promise. And this is kind of where Christ as our ark comes in. Promise in chapter uh, lost it. Oh, there we go. In chapter nine. And we are gonna start in chapter yeah, chapter nine, verse nine. Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature. That is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and of all that comes out of the ark, and every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, Then is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the clouds and it shall be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about. Then I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. So God promises that he won't destroy the earth with water again. And he says the rainbow bow is my sign to you that I will keep my promise. God promises to save us like Noah. And what does it take? I thought, if we go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 14.
We'll actually start a little bit higher. Uh, maybe chapter 11 to 14. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated, or the way you want them to treat you, for this is the law of the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there, and there are few who find it. So God promises to save us and never destroy the earth with a flood again. And Noah is set to, to repopulate the earth through his generation. Down the road, Jesus is born. Then he sacrifices himself for us. We get the promise of the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit is a narrow gate and there are very few that make it through. So we need to make sure that we're the ones that make it through the gate. Just like God saved Noah, Christ will save us if we make it through the gate. And that's going to take faith, that's going to take perseverance, and that's going to take hope. Thank you. So let's turn to Colossians in chapter 1. And I want to begin there in, in verse 19. In verse 19, you know, it's part of a scripture memory passage I've been working on over the past couple months. And man, there's so much here. If you don't memorize scripture, I have to tell you, you're really missing out on a, a really amazing thing that God does. For those of you who do memorize scripture consistently, you know what I'm talking about. If you read the scripture, you can get some stuff out of it. If you read the scripture and study it, you can get even more out of it. But if you memorize it, there are things hidden in the scriptures that you can't get until it's permeating your mind. You just can't get it all unless you're memorizing it. And I'm not saying that because I've memorized this, I hear it and see it and know it all. But you know what? I've read this passage over the years many times. And I've studied through the passage many times. But there's so much in this passage in Colossians beginning there in verse 19. I mean, the whole of Colossians 1 is amazing, but let's begin in verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, in Christ. And through Him, the Father, through Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard 
which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, we are reconciled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the whole point was to present you and I holy and blameless before him. So Jesus did all the heavy lifting. We are reconciled, we are secure in heaven, heaven if. Notice there's a dash there saying, Dramatic pause, preacher. Dramatic pause. If. If is a life and death word. My prayer would be, would be that we all get to heaven. That these young men would, at some point in time, as they mature into adulthood, would have seen in us Older men who are striving to grow in the faith, they would see in us, this is the life I want. This is the life that's right. I look around me and I see people messed up in every way and just miserable. And, and but my dad. No, Mr. Blake, Mr. Jake, Mr. Logan, Mr. Jeremiah. You know, those guys were... We're really working the program and growing. I want to be like Mr. Winningham, Mr. Weiber. Seeing those guys, I know that they're living the right way. Listening to how they treat people and then listening to how other people treat people. I want to be like them. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. Again, in the book of Colossians, it says, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Did you ask him into your heart? Confessing him as your personal savior? Worshiping all the time? Is that how you received him? Okay going up and falling down in front of the altar and praying through and all that crazy nonsense that goes on in churches. Is that how you received them? Or did you realize that you, as it says here in this passage of Scripture, uh, <clears throat> verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, you recognize that you're a dirtbag and that you really weren't worth saving because you're such a nasty, vile person. And yet, God, like we talked about yesterday, sacrificed his son because he loved you more than his son. So now you're going to live your life for your own way and you're not going to bow the knee and do what he says and you expect to get to heaven because you asked him into your heart as a personal savior. That ain't going to fly, boys. That ain't going to fly. So if you think you're getting in on easy grace, you, you miss the whole point. Look, he sacrificed all for you. And if you're married to him, guess what the spouse does for the husband or the wife does for the husband? The husband sacrifices all for the wife. Gentlemen, as the bride of Christ, we need to sacrifice all for him. You know, so you know, this is, yes, grace is free. You can't do it on your own. You need his 
sacrifice. But man, if this is a relationship instead of a law, you have to be responsive in that relationship. So I want to talk about continuing in the faith. Continuing in the faith. The word continuing means constantly in the faith. Constantly walking by faith. Constantly looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to be firmly established and steadfast. Firmly established means placed into it. Steadfast means immovable. You're not moved from the faith. The problem is, is you might get the wrong faith. How many faiths are, are there out there? Now we're just talking Christendom. There, what is it? Yeah. Catch that? Christendom. 40,000. Man, you got all sorts of choices, don't you? You can get to heaven any which way you want. Just got to do a little research and pick the one you like, the one that fits your lifestyle. And uh, man, you're in, right? Wrong. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. There's only one hope. There's only one body of Christ. There's only one church of Christ. And there's only one spirit. There's only one gospel. There's only one way. And gentlemen, I'm not narrow-minded. That's Bible. So if you've got a problem with that, you take it up with God. Guess what? You need to seek the narrow way. The way that is straight. And the narrow way, as was preached, I believe Brian said it, the narrow way is the way of affliction. It is. And so we need to recognize that this life of faith is not a cakewalk. In fact, just the opposite. I tell people, and some of you who I've taught, you know, I said, look, you need to recognize your first year as a Christian is going to be absolutely rugged. Because the devil is going to go after you. And he's going to try to mess you up along the way. And he's going to use whatever tool that he's figured out from the past that works for you. So if you have sexual immorality in your life before you're a Christian, that's what he's going to attack you with. If money, greed is your, it's, that's going to be it. He, he knows he's got your, your number, man. He's been watching you for a long time. He knows where to go to get under your skin. And so I tell people, look, this first year is going to be rugged. Stay tight, tight, tight to the body of Christ. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. If you don't, you're going to have struggles. Guess what? You have associations in the world and you're, try and you're not assembling like you ought and you're not reading the Bible like you ought and you're not praying like you ought. You're not assembling. You're not working on developing the ability to share with other people. If you're not doing that and you're very oftentimes an evil association, friend groups and... We have friend groups that aren't Christians, and if you're not intentional about being the man to influence that friend group, you will be influenced. Bad company destroys good morals. It's somehow when little kids are running around listening to mom and dad, and mom and dad are talking good stuff 99.9% .9 of the time, and one word slips, they, bam, they get that. One-tenth of one percent. And that's the word. 
How many know what I'm talking about? Is that true? Well, the adult population does the same exact thing, including people who are in Christ. You will gravitate. I don't know why it's that way. I think it's just kind of this fleshly body likes that garbage. And so, man, if you're not working, if you're not intentional, you're not going forwards, you're going backwards. There is no standing still in this life. If you think you're standing, if you could think you could stand on the fence and stand still, you are going to be in the wrong side of eternity. You can't. You have to keep pushing forward, pressing on. You have to. If you don't, you die. My brother invited me to go back to Montana. And I didn't realize this, but about. 40 years ago, my brother and I hiked up 10 miles to a ridge, three miles down, set up a camp when one day, and we had to bushwhack. We got up the next day, and we hiked, climbed a man-killer of a mountain. A lot of guys have died on that mountain. We got to the top. We summited. Got pictures of me up there, 18 years old, looking really cool and studly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of hair. I had a lot of hair. It was great. A lot of hair. We hiked back that down that day down to our camp. Next day we hiked out. So my brother goes, "Hey, I want to go get into Tranquil Basin. We're not going to climb Mount McDonald, but we're going to climb into." tranquil basin and i got this way this way that we've done before and and i think there's this better way and and i've been scouting i've been recon he calls it recon i've done some recon scouts <laughs> okay man so my wife buys me a new backpack and i'm all excited and man i was just getting the juices flowing and just visualizing getting up in there and getting to this one place this lake where we camped is like awesome you know and, and uh, he's got a 35 pound pack I'm younger so I got a 50 pound pack and we're going up there and I'm telling you what 12 hours of hiking we started before the sun was up we didn't stop until the sun was setting and we did not make it to the ridge the first five miles was on trails with switchbacks up into a lake basin but then we had about four and a half miles of bushwhacking and steve had found a better a better way <laughs> a better way and we weren't pushing through brush we were climbing up rock in a, and i'm not exaggerating rock slabs that chunked off and you had to find a way down through this rock slab and then another rock slab. So it was like these slabs like this. It was crazy. And so, yeah, you could walk up these rocks without pushing brush, but you're exposed in the sun. And then you had to find a way to a crag in the, this, I mean, we're talking not little slabs. We're talking like 30, 40, 50 feet down. So you have to find a way to get down. Okay. So you go up, down, up, 
down, up, down. And we did that for the large majority of the day. And we are not even close to where we needed to be. And my, my brother Steve sits down and uh, he would go ahead of me because that's who he is. He goes ahead and then he sits and waits for me to get there and then he starts out again and I don't have a chance to catch my breath. So anyway, he ran, he ran out of water. We were not where we were supposed to be. There's no water. We're talking, this is slabs of rock and there's some green patches and some trees, but there is no water, nowhere. And so where we were supposed to be is another probably two miles steep hiking and we're, we're spent. So I got a big old uh, camel back bag. And uh, so I pull my camel back out, bag out and guess what? I'm out of water too. And he, he, he is sitting and is not able to really think straight because we've been sweating like sweating and we don't we're not replenishing the electrolytes we are spent and it's in cognitively we were having problems so my brother sat down and says you know what we we need to get some water that's probably a good idea and so i hiked over to one of these huge rock slabs and the cliff to our, our left side, that was like 60 to 100 feet down. But remember, these slabs would come up and then shoot down. So I had to walk through a couple of those slabs to see if there was a way to get down. And I did find a way down one slab up from where he was sitting. It took me about 20 minutes to half an hour. And remember, the sun's going down. So we got to get some water. And we got to get camp. And we're on this rock ledges. Found this one place where we could get down, but if you fell, you would not stop. And it's all heavy, jagged rock shale. So if you fell, you would, if not be killed, you would be broken. And we are not in a good place in our physiology. So I told my brother, Okay, we're going to make this happen. And we walked through down and we didn't fall, thank God. We got all the way across this huge big bowl of shale and we we're going to the next cliff because there's another cliff area down into a bowl where there was a little tiny rivulet, little tiny. I mean, it was like about that wide. You could hear it, you could see it. I have my binoculars. And if I hadn't had my binoculars, I had been trained by you, I wouldn't have been able to discern where we could get down on that second ridge. He fell before he got to that second ridge and hurt his knee and his backpack came off. And if he would have been strapped into his backpack like I was, it would have dragged him down. So that was God's design that he hadn't put his belt, you know, the backpack belt on. It was hanging onto his arm, kind of came off. So it didn't lose his backpack. That would have been disastrous too. So have everybody, anybody ever been skiing before or running before or athletic before and you fall down, crash and burn and it messes with your head? 
where all of a sudden it's like you can't, it's, it's like you, you physically able, although we weren't really, but mentally you're really kind of messed up in your head. We had to go one more, one more cliffy area, but this was worse because there was rocks and grass, but it was super steep. So man, you step on the grass and whew, you'd go. Now we're, we're are in a bad place. We make it down that one, and I was literally on my rear end in a couple places, kind of sliding a little bit and catching, sliding a little bit. And man, there was one time where I, he was coming, I was down below him because I'd kind of tested it out, and I left my pack up so I could get down. And I was down below him, and he starts coming down this little crack and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I'll just stand here and catch him if he falls. And I decided, you know what? Both are going to die if that happens. So I told him, I said, look, I'm stepping away. You need to be super careful. If you fall, I'll try to pack you out, but don't fall. I mean, we're talking about, this is, I mean, serious. It was messing with my head because I'm running these scenarios. So if he falls and he breaks the leg, how am I going to get him out of here? Remember how far it is out? And we had to bushwhack. I have to drag him back up on those rocks and drag him down those rocks to the lake basin and then five miles out. How's that going to work? And I'm spent. We did make it to the water. And I'm telling you what, we sat there. The sun had gone down. We sat there and we drank water. We drank water, drank water. We went over and set up our tents real quick. We were done. We did not get to the ridge. And we had decided we weren't going to go to the ridge the next day. We were going to relax for a day and then hike back out. Well, my brother woke up feeling a little bit better. And he said, hey, we got water in us. We got food. Let's go to the ridge. All right, well, I, you're not going by yourself. So we go up, and, and uh, here's this big bowl where this saddle is over into this beautiful, tranquil basin. And I say, well, we made it. We know where we're supposed to go next time. Like, I'm never going back here again. <laughs> you know? And he goes, no, I'm going to go up to that ridge. And I said, brother, man, look at that. That's steep, and this grass, and I know there's a little trail there, and going to take you a long time and and remember we got to get out he goes well i'm i think i can do this okay so he gets up and he gets on the ridge in about 45 minutes and i'm thinking well that dog don't go and i had walkie-talkie he didn't know how to use a walkie-talkie i had to yell turn it on Turn the button on the top. <laughs> and then he didn't know he had to push a button to talk. How many have ever used a walkie-talkie before? You turn it on and you push a little button to talk. Right? I mean, I, that's why I have these for my hunting partners so that they, we don't, you know. So finally he gets on her. Oh, this is how you do it. <laughs> yes. I said, don't go over. You stay right there. I'm going to come up. So I got up there and I go and I look down and it's another mile and a half, two miles down into this big, huge, awesome basin. I got pictures that'll blow your mind, right? And I go, you are not going down there. We will not get out. And if you're even thinking you're going down there, I will break your leg and drag you out <laughs> from here because it's all downhill. You are not going in there. 
okay so we can have lunch here and we'll take lots of pictures and you can tell he's just bummed out of his head and then he said you know we're not going to ever get back into tranquilization and i said you're right i think you're right because we're not 18 and 23. we're six we're 63 and 67. what are we doing what did we just do we did what we probably probably couldn't have done but by sheer will but we almost died now it gets worse okay we come back down we camp we think we know a better way okay i messed up my knee really bad and i i started talking in my head i'm not going to make it started talking in my head I'm not going to make it I could barely move my knee it took me a week when I got back home before I could really even walk normal and I've been wearing a brace but I was talking in my head because I was so exhausted and I was so hurting and my brother was barreling down the hill and I said you know what I don't know if I can make it man And I started to act like it, shuffling and stumbling and falling down. That's not like me. I mean, you know me well enough to know I don't do that. I don't talk that way in my head. But ever since that, I've struggled. First day, not a couple weeks ago, a week ago or something, Jake texts me. He goes, hope you're doing okay, Dad. I never thought that I could be in that place. I know you don't think you could ever be in that place because we don't think that way until we start thinking that way. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard are you firmly established and steadfast in your faith oh yeah i am i'm i got it dialed in do you is it a growing process until you breathe your last or have you got it dialed in Somewhere in the Bible it says, be careful, gentlemen, if you think you stand. Because <laughs> that's when the devil sticks a stick in your spokes. Okay. So, so these sermons that you guys have been preaching <laughs> might not have been as impactful if I wouldn't have gone on that hike. I was, I was crushed by your sermon. I already knew what you were going to preach. And those verses that you read, those were verses we talked about, but they were like 
Man, there was a special kind of piercing power in those verses yesterday for me. I don't know if they were for you. I said, I don't remember working with him on that Bible verse. That one is a nasty one, man. <laughs> in what effect? Convicting me that I am not yet firmly established and steadfast. If I can be shaken by a backpack trip, so it's spilling over into ever other aspects of my life. Be careful, man, because the physical body is attached to the, the mental part and spiritual, man. We're body, soul, and spirit. It all works together. You know, one starts shaking out and others start to shake out. I always thought it was kind of crazy. Old folks are kind of getting all freaked out about stuff. What are you doing, man? Get it figured out. That's an idiot young man. I'm not saying that you're idiot, young men. I'm just saying, you know what? You think you got it all together. Be careful because you start thinking the wrong way. Then you start moving the wrong way, even in the spiritual realm, man. You have to make sure that you are grounded in the faith so when the body starts to fail, your faith doesn't fail. When, as TJ was saying, all of your physical blessings of prosperity are could be gone in a day if your faith isn't where it needs to be you're gonna lose it you're gonna lose it you need to be established and steadfast so you tell me gentlemen how do you how do you establish yourself in the faith how how do you get where you're immovable in the faith so that every day it's the constant how do you do that i've seen a lot of guys start a lot of guys super proud they got it all dialed in and they don't make it they don't finish i don't want to be one of those guys that was a wake-up call <laughs> i'm not hiking back up in there i don't want another wake-up call like that okay i'm not doing that but that's a wake-up call and I'm still reeling from that, and probably some of you have noticed. Now, you can think less of me if you want, but the reality is, is for me, that's a wake-up call, and I'm working through it. Because I want heaven more than anything. So it's important, gentlemen, that you don't think you've arrived until you are absolutely established. So when you lose everything in this life, Except for your life, you're still faithful. That's Job. And when they take you to the cross and nail you there, as we may very well be, because I can see the Muslims going, what a great way to end this person who says he's a Christian's life. Right? Don't know, do we? We don't know. So you, you have to be so firm in your faith that you're going to say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, they do. But they really don't. And you could ask God to forgive them. And bless people who have 
have been a part of your life as you're grasping for breath. That's how far we need to go to establish our faith so steadfast and movable. So there's a scripture, and I wish I knew where it was. Maybe one of you guys know where it is. I've searched for it a couple times, and I know it's in there. You know, the one who's putting his armor on should not boast. It's the guy who takes his armor off that can boast. It's in there. So guess what? You got your armor on, man. You're shiny and you're looking real sharp. Don't boast, man. You're not done. When you breathe your last and you've lived every day for the Lord Jesus Christ by living every day for your wife, every day for your kids, every day for your brothers and sisters in Christ, every day for the lost souls that God has brought into your life and you're working with them and not backing away, ashamed of the name. You know what? When you take your armor off, then, then, you've made it. So we're still all more vertical than horizontal. You know, when you attain room temperature, I sure hope that you remain faithful to your last breath. You need to continue in the faith, established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Is it possible that you could know the scriptures, memorize, pray, and really be rock solid and everybody sees you rock solid, but there is pride in your heart? You getting in? You know what the original sin is, don't you? The original sin wasn't chowing on that forbidden fruit. What was the original sin? What is it? Pride. Wickedness came into this creation through pride. The devil puffed himself up. He just shared it with Adam and Eve. Hey, man, you can be just like God. Really? <laughs> so I doesn't want to eat that fruit because that's what's going to happen to you. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pride. So it's really important for us to recognize and understand, you know what? You keep putting the armor on. You keep strengthening the armor. You keep learning how to use the sword of the Spirit. You keep praying fervently for the brethren. You keep investing yourself. And every time you have a, a, a selfish thought or a selfish desire or a greed for more or a lack of contentment or a anger, you... Shut her down right then and say, that is not who Christ is. That is not of faith. That's of the flesh. We're either going to be men of faith or men of flesh. We're either going to be men of faith or men of flesh. And if people can't see a difference in you, they see a man of flesh. They don't see a man of faith. But if they see a difference in you, they know that you are not like them, that you stand out in the crowd, that you are a stranger and an alien, unusual, not from this country because of your integrity, because of your holiness and righteousness and blamelessness as you walk in the footsteps of Christ Jesus. Then, then, you're on your way, but you're not there yet. Uh, brethren, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul says, I haven't made it yet. It's one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and striving for what lies in. 
to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Look, gentlemen, to persevere is to determine that today I'll persevere. The next goal is to persevere through the next day and to persevere through the next day. Right now, right now, I need to get back to where I was. I'm really kind of thankful, though, God being very insightful, <laughs> putting it into my heart after I ro rolled in that pickup that could have killed me. By the way, I fear, I don't think I could have ridden with you yesterday with the story. I, I, I went back. Well, I know I'm used to you, so I probably would have been okay. I just would have been looking at you instead of the cliff. Uh, I went back to Badlands Family Camp, and we had a tour of Badlands Family Camp. And this one guy, you know, he, he was asked to drive by, you know, the, the uh, owner of the ranch, and that's pretty cool. And so he's driving this pickup, and he's going pretty fast. He goes by this washed-out area, and, and the washout, we're talking, the washout is about 30, 40, 50 feet down straight. And there's a little hill here, and there's a road, and it's washed out. And the truck can barely get on this road where the washout is. I'm thinking, this guy is an idiot. And I almost grabbed him and said, stop! I'm going to get out and walk around the hill. You wait for me on there. So, I mean, I was freaking out in my head. Why? Because of the rollover I had. That roller changed me, man. I said, you know what? I got to get some guys that the church recognizes our leaders, although I've talked them up all the time, right? Brian and Jeff and Kirk. By the way, I've answered to those guys, and they've answered to me for a long time. But the church needed to recognize them as the guys that are in charge. I didn't know I was going to have a crazy, weird experience where I'd almost lose my brain enough that I could fall off a cliff. I didn't know that. God knew that. He better get some boys in, in place. Now, I know that I'm going to reap some pushback from others that don't believe or haven't been invested in putting other men into leadership like that. But the Bible says we need to do that. Amen. We need to lay hands on people to commission them to positions of leadership. And when we have men that are qualified for elders, I'm going to be the first one to say, hey, we need to lay hands on these guys. We're going to put them into eldership. So I want to read the two verses that are, and, and close with this. I want to read the two verses that are the guiding verses for this year's theme. You know this year's theme, the fourth law of momentum. I'm just talking about spiritual things. The fourth law of momentum is the power of perseverance. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. I mentioned it before, but I want to close with it to, uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And we're going to read actually down to the end of the chapter. It's, it's, a, it's a good passage of scripture. The last verse is amazing. But remember the former days. And this is, this is the writer here talking to, to those who are of the faith, Christians. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you came to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have uh, 
you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall, shall live by faith. But if, if, if he, the righteous one who has been living by faith, shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering or preserving of the soul. That's for this year's theme. I mean, get that memorized. Get that in your brain. That you know what? When they take everything that you have, you're okay because you know you got a place in heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Not just a new heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. I'm not sure what that new earth is going to look like. It's not the Jehovah Witness new earth. It's completely new. It's not a retread of this old dirt ball. It's completely new. I don't really know what that looks like because no mind uh, or no ear has heard or no uh, eye has seen what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. So I have just, I marvel in this creation, but what about the new earth? I don't know, but I know it's going to be infinitely better than this. And I don't know how that's possible in some places. There are some places like our heaven on earth, man. And I've been to some of those places. So it's important for us to recognize and understand, you know what? They take it all. You got something infinitely better. They throw you in prison and they torture you. It's only for a short time in comparison to eternity. What's 70 years of torture compared to an eternity of paradise? You tell me. Is there any comparison? You better get your mind wrapped around that because if it comes your way, and it very may well in our lifetimes, brethren, I mean, we need to be firm in the faith, established, immovable, see? And are we going to go visit people that are thrown in prison? Are we? Will you? Because, you know, when you go visit somebody in prison because they have professed the faith and the faith has no illegal, guess what that does? It puts you a mark on you, doesn't it? Will you do that? Or are you going to let those guys rot in prison? because I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be seen as a Christian because then I might be thrown in prison. See, we have to, people went and visited the Apostle Paul. Some of them were imprisoned with the Apostle Paul because they were in fellowship with the Apostle Paul when he was incarcerated and they were there too. You know that's true. Timothy was even thrown in prison. If you know your scripture, what? You associate with Paul, you get thrown in prison. You associate with Jesus, you get crucified. Are you going to do that, men? That's what that's saying. Have you established your faith in such a way that you are immovable? That's where we need to go. That's where we need to build. And I can't build that for you. You have to build it for you. Jeremy, as much as you want Jeremiah to possess your faith, Jeremiah's got to possess the faith of Jesus Christ. You have to possess the faith of Jesus Christ. You can't make your son. You can't give it to him. They got to take hold of it themselves. And I'll tell you what, I've told you before, and many of you know, that I will not be a successful man in my mind until my three boys and my son are standing in the line of the sheep waiting to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we're not done yet. 
Jake has a lot of life yet. Ryan has a lot of life. Andrew has a lot of life. A lot of time for the devil to tempt them, but there's a lot of time for them to grow strong as, as warriors to conquer, to crush his head. That's where we need to be driving, gentlemen. So that's why we need to be intentional. We can't be playing around. Can we go hunting? Of course. But when we hunt, should we be with people and inspiring them and building them up, whether they're Christians or not? I'll tell you what, when I take people who are non-Christians hunting, guess what I'm hunting? That's what I'm hunting. And may I get a deer? Yeah, maybe. But I'm hunting. Constant. So we can enjoy the blessings of this life, but don't forget who you are and what you're called to do because your wife, your kids depend on you. Your co-workers depend on you. I depend on you. The brothers in Christ depend on you. Don't take your hands off the wheel, man. You need to stay intentional. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who, who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We have such faith that our souls will be preserved. Body, soul, and spirit on the last day. Are, we, are you there yet, gentlemen? I, I've had a couple wake-up calls. <laughs> and they, 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 they've shaken me out. And I've had to really go back and go, okay, so what's really serious here? So I'm bumping up the prayer, bumping up the scripture memory. And every morning when I do my Bible reading, there's also some study in there. And my Bible is getting much more filled with notes and colors and all that stuff. I want to know. And I want to apply. The last verse is in the book of Revelation in chapter 14. And I really would encourage you. And I've been thinking really hard about preaching, preaching a series on, on Revelation so that people don't get freaked out by all these stupid books about all sorts of weirdo creatures and stuff. None of that garbage is right. But I'll tell you what, it's going to get rugged. Verse, uh, where is it? Chapter, chapter 14 and verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Christ. But the interesting thing is, it should read this way. Here is uh, the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith of Jesus Christ. The faith of Christ. Faith of Christ still isn't being preached. And I'm not saying that I, my name should ever be brought up in regards to the faith of Christ. But you know what? The faith of Christ should be preached in every church. Because it's not faith in Christ only. You know, the Bible does say faith in Christ. He's the one that gave himself for my reconciliation. I believe that with all my heart. But when I step into it through the gospel, guess what faith I need to have? His faith. Where does it come from? His word. How am I going to get it? By going to church once a week? <laughs> How about three times a week? Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Nailed it. No, that isn't going to cut it. 
You need to be in it every day, you. So God can hammer on you individually in the privacy of your own home. Brethren, I'm so excited that God has raised me up and allowed me to serve him in the newness of life. But I haven't made it yet. And I have to be honest with you, there's been a couple scary times here recently where I really had to really, really think things through. If you go through a scary time, please give me a call and go, I am shook. You look in the scriptures, there were guys that were shook. Somebody was talking about Isaiah. He got shook, didn't he? So you have those times in your life. Give me a call. I'll understand. I'm not going to look down at you. Those guys who got it all dialed in, those great preachers might, but I won't. (laughs) I want you to make it. I don't care what you think about me and my preaching. I want you to make it. That's what's most important. I want to make it. I need you guys. I need you. We need each other. Most importantly, we need each other to encourage each other to possess the faith of Christ. Amen? All right. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then I want you to to help me a little bit here, kind of do a little evaluation of this year's uh, uh, experience at G4 Summit. But I really do want to help other people uh, men uh, come and participate. I mean, it's this been profound this year for me. Uh, I think because of where I was and where I am, profound. By the way, real quick, just a side note. I did not coach. I hardly coached you at all, did I? Okay. I just said, here's some scriptures. Here's a couple things I've seen. I didn't tell him how long it took him to build the ark. I didn't tell him how, how long they were on the ark. That's you got to dig that stuff out. I kind of encouraged him not to do the genealogy before that, but he went and did it anyway, and he brought some really cool things to bear, right? So notice, he dug that out on his own, and he laid it out because he invested himself. So, man, Brad, I appreciate that. That was great, and I got convicted on several points there that that I didn't share with you that you dug out that I haven't found yet that you shared. So see, that's powerful, man. So my prayer is, is that you would help me to help other guys, not so that it gets bigger so we can say it gets bigger. No, so that we can encourage more men to stand in the gap. Oregon's a desperate place. Thank you, Ohio, for coming out here and helping us out because Oregon is the darkest state in the union least church state in the union Eugene is the least church city in the state so guess where Oregon or Eugene is it is in the darkest place of hell in regards to this side of hell and you're here thank you for being an encouragement to the saints who are a part of this this area huge 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 